to pay the iron price. I must to pay the iron price. I'll never respect you while he lives in. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain and hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Follow to Harris, all men must serve. See as a raven flies and time slips by. Follow my rulers, all men must Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by BaldMove.com. We are the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And tonight we're talking about the fifth episode of season four entitled The First of His Name. This is the first podcast of our name. Is it? That's a damn lie. There's, there's We've done at least five been of these preceded now. by hundreds. <laughs> a cast of hundreds, each brutally murdered in turn by its... <laughs> brother sister wife all with very similar names uh so we're talking about that uh this week uh very smooth transition into the cash mm-hmm. proper uh we talked about what we thought last night mm-hmm. or the night before on the instant take uh have you come down from that high what's your sober analysis no of the show? uh i really like the episode um i think i agree with what you said in the instant cast it starts off kind of slow there's a lot of talky bits uh but once the action gets going it's non-stop to the end i mean you you get an aria and hound scene and then we go right into Jon snow kicking ass yeah i it's funny because when i first watched the show i felt like so much was happening and mm-hmm. i was so excited from the pre-show preview like you know previously on because i'm like oh god we're gonna get warged into hodor yeah and they're taught bringing up marcella holy shit i mean there's Bring it. They had John Arryn, uh with the weird, creepy eye stones on his eyes. Like it yeah, was yeah. You know, going way back, deep cuts into the Game of Thrones archive. And I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be epic. And honestly, didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but we got one of the biggest bombs as far as plot bombs dropped on us this episode. We'll get to that here in a bit. Okay. Uh, this episode directed again by the great Michelle McLaren. She really gets to put her action directing skills yeah uh, they've been the test. they've been going to her a lot lately and well, i wonder always, if it's just because of the action that they've got to film i think she's always been a staple of of game of thrones but she got hmm, okay. she was featured prominently in uh game of Th- shit breaking bad last year oh, she yeah. did an episode of walking dead one yeah of i guess the best I ne- episodes of walking dead of last season i never actually paid attention to who was directing these things until we started doing the podcast or until I started joining in on it. I'm trying to do that more. I want to start doing that in Mad Men too. keep track yeah, of the yeah. writers and directors. All this usually it's Matthew Weiner and somebody. Yeah. Somebody sure. from game. It's either John Slattery or John Hamm. I think they just take turns directing yeah, everyone. The Johns. Uh, anyway, no one gives a shit about Mad Men on this episode. I'm going to presume uh, this was directed by Michelle McLaren and written by the double D's, David Benioff and Daniel B. Weiss. Yeah, they do a lot on this show. They do. <laughs> <laughs> they are a singular vision. Um, let's get right into it, unless you have something. No. All right. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, 
We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Uh, what's up with the fucking credit sequence? Like, it's about one it? thing that they keep stubbornly showing Winterfell, but we get no eerie. <laughs> yeah. They already have it mocked up. We spend no time in Winterfell, but we spend plenty of time in eerie. And and they have that little clockwork eerie pop ready to pop out of the map. It was in the yeah. season one. I don't understand. Like, is it really that expensive to edit this thing and skip the score a couple more bars? I don't understand why they... Yeah. That that is weird. I mean, it seems like they were doing that up yeah. until this season. Like yeah. they would edit it every single time. Well, I mean, we got Marine and we got the Dreadfort. That's cool, but again, they have the. Sequence. Where is this extra fucking budget that they supposedly I, saved from season three? The end of season four must be fucking epic. It's supposed to be the last because season I've episodes. seen none of that budget in the first half of this. Uh, fair point. None of it. Fair they didn't point. show the slave attack. They didn't show. They they haven't even been editing credit sequences. Uh, we got to see some uh, surly teenage dragons. That okay, was cool. that was cool. Yeah, uh, that's it. Let's. Uh, they, they spent it all on Joffrey's mottled purple face. <laughs> okay, that was like right, half that the was budget. worth it. They had to save everything for the rest of the Completely season. Completely worth it. Anyway, a little bit of disappointment of the credit sequence. Um, let's get into Tommen's crowning. Okay, what what do you think of the scene? Uh, which part? The part where he's actually crowned, or the part where Cersei and Marjorie? Have a little standoff. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about his actual crowning. Okay. Because one thing I'm not getting enough is vitamin V. I'm not getting enough Varus in this season. Varus, okay, yeah. Especially He's sparse. It feels like this is the ascendancy of Littlefinger, and Varus mm-hmm. is just getting swept under a soft perfume rug somewhere. Yeah, I I feel like one of his kind of allies, and kind of, sort of, not really, was Tyrion. Now that Tyrion's in the dungeon. He backed a wrong horse. Yeah, I mean, he hedged his bets, too. He wasn't all on board with Tyrion, but, mm. like, Tyrion and him kind of were were an action duo. Now that Tyrion's not in the picture so much, uh, or at all, he's trapped in a dungeon, Varys isn't doing much. I mean, he's just kind of going about his daily grind. Well, plus, I guess, you know, I hadn't thought of this before, but if you go back to last season, Varys has kind of been put back on his heels. Uh he spent a lot of time grooming Roz and putting her in a position to where she could be an effective spy in Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. And that whole cell, spy cell, got burnt down to the ground. Yeah. Um, 
so he very well might uh, be a little bit on the outs as far as connection and influence right now. Sure. Uh, but anyway, I miss the guy. I think he's cool. And I honestly miss Tyrion, too. Uh, yeah. I was expecting to see a lot more of him wittily rotting away in, in the dungeon. Yeah, we but, got uh, none of him. None of him. This episode. So I assume he's still in the dungeon. We got zero half man. Yet. And that's at least a half a half a half man too short for my <laughs> taste. How long is a fortnight? Because they keep mentioning fortnight, and Fort- I don't know. I believe that is uh, two weeks. Two weeks? Yes. Wow. So he's got to rot in the dungeon for two weeks. Uh, well, no, uh, that's, that's until Tommen's marriage to Marjorie, right? Is when Tyrion's being let out? Did they say that this episode? Why? Because last you... episode they said it was going to be a fortnight before his trial. Oh, 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 I thought you were talking about the different marriage timings. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, he's has to wait. He has to ride away wow. for a week. Okay. So we know at least two weeks haven't gone by, by since the last episode. Yep. Um, so we both talked about how we were relatively shocked, uh, at, Cersei's actual dialogue versus her expected one, especially after a long, yeah. slow walk she made <laughs> over to the mags. Yep. Uh, I thought that I, I first thought that she was trying to bring Marjorie into the fold, and she did a lot of candid, um, candid. Uh, what do you call that? Confessions. Okay. The fact that she was under no illusion about Joff being a monster, we knew that. I don't think Marjorie yeah, did. Yeah. Uh, that she shocked her. Uh, and I think it took a lot out of her to approach Marjorie, but uh, like this, and you could you could tell in uh, her face mm-hmm. uh, the way it was portrayed there. But then I feel like she was leveling with her and trying to be rel- as honest as a Lannister can be with anyone. Mm-hmm. And then when she asked Marjorie about, you know, hey, I guess you still want to be queen, and she just responded with. Uh, oh, whole... I haven't thought about it. You, fuck you. You've thought about it. Yeah, a whole bunch of bullshit and You've double talk. conversations about it with your grandmother. I feel like that that offended Cersei. And yeah, from yeah. that point, there's something subtle that changed. And yet, also, Marjorie was feeling her oats. Like, uh, she provoked Cersei by uh, calling her sister, which we know the last time she did that, Cersei threatened to have her killed. Hmm, yeah. Uh, at Tyrion's wedding, I believe. And then she went and said, or maybe mother, which is a jab at <laughs> Cersei's advancing age. Um, yeah, well, I mean, there is a sister-mother relationship there because with the person she's going to be marrying uh, and with the people that they're both going to be marrying, those relationships both exist. That's a very weird scenario. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, anything else to uh, talk about that? Uh, Marjorie's dad looks like a character out of Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, Picard goes down on an away team, <laughs> and this is some, the race on the alien planet. Some planetary functionality that's yeah. explaining why their shocking racism or sexism is, <laughs> you know, not violating the Prime Directive. And Sure. Maybe it's all the same universe. I don't know. It, it must be. Yeah. You know, they just, uh, Picard hasn't visited this yet. <laughs> uh, you know, these people, needing, they, they're... Who knows? Data could be in the throne room behind a cloaking device observing them because they haven't. They're be. a pre-warp civilization, Jim. True. Very true. I'm sure the magical seasons and dragons must be endlessly fascinating to Federation scientists. Unfortunately, yeah, the Prime Directive prohibits them from actually interfering. Maybe Varys is a Vulcan in disguise. <laughs> he could be. He's a, he's a renegade Vulcan. Uh, Prime Directive, be damned. He's, in, <laughs> he's all up in this shit. Yep. Um, let's move on. To Marine. Okay. Uh, Danny is comfortably taking on Marine. She's living large. She's got her small council. 
Uh, she found out she just has a navy. Uh, she just acquired a navy. She had no idea. Why did she give Dario shit for that? That's just stupid, right? I don't know. Yeah, I feel like she's just not completely on board the the Dario train yet. It's like, who told you to take the navy? It's like, you're right, my, your grace. I should have let them row out the bay and abscond to Astapor, where they could take. <laughs> the newly enslaved army across here to kick our asses. That would have been a much better plan. (laughs) I like, I get that she uh, wants to keep him a little bit under her thumb, or at least that's what it feels like. But damn dude got 97 ships. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's initiative. (laughs) Yeah. Now she has a way across the sea. She needs that. Right. Yeah. And and she has any hope of ever taking King's Landing. And this whole thing, like even going back to last, uh, not last episode, episode before that, where he killed that man for her. Yeah. um, It's not like he's nothing. He's the commander, de facto commander of the second sons now. Yeah. Losing him would be, uh, they were all ready to, you know, uh, attack her. And then Dario did a overthrow of the leadership. So if he died, I don't know that it's uh, locked that the Second Sons would continue to follow Danny. Sure. Especially when we found that Slaver Bay has gone back to shit. Yeah. Uh, the Wise Master's back in control of Astapor. Uh, apparently, Danny set up a ruling council mm-hmm. to kind of rule in her stead in uh, Yunkai, and that's been taken over by Butcher King. Yep. Sounds like a nice guy. <laughs> Uh, who who has proclaimed revenge? I guess. Um, so the second sons. Let's define them a little bit. What do they include? Is that just the army that Dario had under his command when they were attacking the first city? I assume. I mean, who, who else would it be? It doesn't include any Unsullied, mm-hmm. if that's what you're asking. No, no, no. I'm not asking about the Unsullied. The slaves. What what happened to the slaves? Are none of them fighting for her? She's just liberating their cities and moving on. That's an interesting question because. She, when they're counting her military strength, they're only counting the Unsullied and the Second Sons. Yeah. The implication being that these slavers are not, uh, or not the slavers, I'm sorry, the, the former slaves are yeah. not an organized fighting force. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that makes sense. They were slaves, and who knows what kind of condition they are, what kind of training they've had. Yeah. Uh, and they, it would take I mean, a while. They said that to, when they tried to free them that we have no training, we have no weapons. Yeah, I don't know what basic training consists of in uh, uh, Essos, but it's it's probably more than just uh, you look like you're a, a big dude. Here's a spear. <laughs> sure, yeah. So we they haven't they haven't uh, swollen their ranks to include those yet. Apparently, they just have ten, the ten thousand bodies. Okay. Which conveniently they have just enough ships to get over Westeros, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks like all of her advisors, except for maybe Jorah, and he's kind of like, yeah, you know, I bet if I squint, we could take him. Our counseling going over to Westeros and fucking shit up. Yeah, uh, I think that's the wrong call. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's surprising because I think um, just by kind of like you know licking my finger and putting it to the wind, I feel like the average show watcher um, is patience is somewhat tried by her refusal to go to Westeros and mix mix up with the other pretenders to the throne. I have a really hard time disagreeing with that, but within the plot. It completely makes sense. Well, and the other thing is, like, this isn't the second season where she's just cooling her heels and begging people for help. I mean, she's been a dynamic figure since early on in season three. Yeah. I, while it would be very entertaining to see her go to Westeros, like, right now, um, I think that the story they're telling with her currently is interesting. I do, too. And it seems like her focus has 
primarily shifted toward freeing slaves uh, away from Westeros. I mean, she's still concerned about that, but that is obviously not her primary uh, goal here. Slavery is already uh, outlawed in Westeros. Oh, okay. So she could be seeing herself as uh, this is a pressing cause over here. Sure. Uh, as least in Slaver's Bay. Uh, so she's decided to stay and rule. Mm-hmm. And I guess repacify all of Slaver's Bay. Would that, would that be fair characterization? Yeah. I think she's going to try to rule all three of those cities at least. She's going to rule in the 80s sense of the word. Uh, so we're approaching the Erie in the Vale, which is the easternmost part of Westeros. And uh, we're, we're following Peter Baelish, and he's got Sansa Stark in tow. Uh, tells her to hide her hair. Uh, yeah. Can, can I jump in? Is yeah. that... Is red hair such a rare trait that they would immediately know she's from that family if they saw her red hair? I think he's just a cautious man because okay. and this is her aunt after all. It's yeah. not like she's got red hair and no connection to this family. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when uh, if a guy like the Hound, first thing he thinks of is what to do with a Stark girl, take her to Lysa to ransom her. I think that it's not a stretch to think that a lot of people, you know, there's basically two places they would go, right? You would assume Castle Black yeah. or the Vale. There's not a whole lot of extra places where they would go and expect to be, you know, have any family or anyone to help them. Sure. So I could see why being a little extra, extra cautious. Um, the Vale does seem like it's impregnable. Yeah, that road is just a death trap. I mean, that's like Thermopylae from 300 on steroids. Yep. Except for they don't have 300. They have potentially thousands of knights that can just, you know, rain death and destruction from above. And yeah. after you get past that part, you got to hike up a fucking mountain, <laughs> you know, past two more defensive outposts, just as formidable, if not more so. It's like, yeah. I, you know, uh, according to the Baelish, the place hasn't been taken over by a thousand years. Uh, bronze protestations to the contrary. Um, what do you think about Lysa and Robin being in on Sansa's little secret? I'm seriously worried about this kid. I don't think he's going to keep his mouth shut. I, I don't see how he possibly could. He seems really, really dumb. Really? Me. Just immature the and epileptic stupid. Kid and... playing next to an open chasm. <laughs> right. You don't think he's got some sense in his head? No, none at all. And can I ask why... I probably can't ask you this because you have book knowledge, but I'm going to ask everyone, why are they showing us this moon door thing again? Obviously, somebody's got to go down there, right? They, they've they showed it to us once. Nobody went down it. Or, well, I guess somebody did get thrown down it, but are you saying, none of the main characters went down it. Are you saying this is Chekhov's moon door? I'm sa- Yes, I'm saying that they are foreshadowing someone going down that, that moon door, and I hope it's Robin. He threw a bird down there, I think, a bird should go down. Uh, His in name the is Robin. Uh, exactly. That's yeah. pretty metaphoric. See if he can fly. He wanted to make the little baby Lannister fly. Let's see if you can fly, Robin. <laughs> the baby Lannister man. Uh, all right. Mildly interesting. Um, <laughs> so we agree that. So you're of the opinion that that's that's trouble that Robin knows her secrets. Yes, I think so. Uh, what did you make of Peter's? Or actually, it's Lysa's claim that. Peter and her had their wedding night many years ago. Yeah, so I got this wrong in the instant cast. I thought it was the other way around, that they were they had some kind of ceremony and were married but never consummated, kind of like Marjorie and Joffrey. Yeah. But it's the other way around. 
they boned. They pre-consummated the marriage. <laughs> they did, but they haven't had a ceremony yet. She, at least she views it as a marriage. I'm sure that Littlefinger does not. I'm sure Littlefinger was using what? her for some... <laughs> what? <laughs> Conniving, Lord, cunning from Lord, Littlefinger. Lord Baelish is just entirely in love with this woman. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got something different from his performance? He only kisses her to shut her up. <laughs> That's the thing. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's something there. Um, some, things are going to get weird between them, for sure. I, I just, yeah, when when Peter's kissing this woman, I mean, she looks like a cross between the Borg Queen and and Radigan <laughs> from The Great Mouse Detective. I don't know that reference. Okay, uh, it's 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 interesting. Um, I'm sure she's a lovely woman when she doesn't have gobs of green makeup and her and a child <laughs> and, and, suckling and, on her. And it, yeah, that that ex- <laughs> that's a pretty horrific accessory. Her preteen child. Uh, and we get to the what I mentioned is the biggest reveal I think so far of the ser- series. And I remember reading uh, when I read the, this in the for the first time in the books because it's kind of like a casual reference, just the yeah, way sure, they yeah. show. In passing, oh by the way, Littlefinger engineered the entire Game of Thrones. He's the one that lit the match. Hmm. That is pretty fucking incredible, isn't it? It's huge, and I I don't know. I don't remember the exact chain of events. This stuff goes way, way back in the series um, with the note coming from uh, Catelyn, or coming to Catelyn. Coming from Lysa, saying that someone's killed, implicating the Lannisters. Yeah, and she did it herself. I mean, at Littlefinger's behest. Ned's Ned's investigation seemed to reveal that... John Aaron was hot on the uh, heels of the the Lannister secret and would have been... So... What the hell? Why would Littlefinger do that? Well, well, there's lots of questions that I have. Okay. Um, did the Lannisters know that John Aaron was hot on their heels? That's a really good question. Did, did Littlefinger find this? out early and decide to help the throne? Did he do this on his own horsepower? Is this something that the Lannisters did ask him to help out with? I mean, he yeah. plays both yeah, sides. It's a big question. And then playing both sides i mean if the lannisters did ask him to help out and now he's killing the king if if not the most powerful man because i don't think you can argue that is it possible that the little finger after what we know tonight is the most influential man in westeros if not uh the whole planetos he's got to be i mean he he killed the king very recently his, his at least his scheming did i mean not directly but yeah, yeah. I mean, he is the one pulling all the strings. The plot he put in motion mm-hmm. killed a, a hand, killed an act, two sit- sitting kings, led to the yeah. War of the Five Kings, which has mm-hmm. ravaged all of Westeros. Yeah, installed him. He's, he's as, everything. Installed him as um, you know, the the Lord of Harrenhal, and now seemingly Lord of the Vale. Yeah, and but I don't know how that works. It seems like it's going to go to Robin. Because he's just married, okay. you know. I don't think you can marry into a lordship that way somehow. I have no idea. Again, you know, I, I feel like someone can explain this to me. I just, I just don't get the hereditary, how this all works. Yeah. Does does your if you can you marry into it? Does it pass down the bloodline? Whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, it feels like Littlefinger is really the guy behind everything, and that they've built him up to the level where I would buy that. Like, yeah. If you were to tell me that. Tyrion was behind everything. I probably wouldn't even buy that. Uh, but Littlefinger, I think, has his spies out there. He has the information necessary to pull this off. And so I totally buy that he 
has orchestrated this entire series so far. Going back to him versus Varys, this is something I've always been interested in in as well. Varys claims to do everything for the realm. Okay. Littlefinger seems to be just an agent of chaos that then he wants to exploit the chaos he's got. Do you... Um, just a real quick kind of temperature check. Do you believe Varys is working for what he considers the good of the realm in, in contrast to Littlefinger, or do you think he's got more yeah. selfish motives as well? Uh, certainly more so than Littlefinger. I, I don't buy that Littlefinger is doing anything for the realm. He's doing it for himself, obviously. Uh, Varys, I've never seen anything out of him that says that he's very selfish. Um, he has, you know, helped Tyrion out a little bit where he's needed it, but that all seems like... You know, he's just watching out for other people. I don't think he would ever do anything against the realm, whereas Littlefinger very obviously would Yeah, and has. Yeah, and the fact that I feel like Varys is a eunuch. Mm-hmm. He cannot rise to any sort of power. The only thing he can do is influence and Why be is a power that? broker. He's got no way he, to... He can't uh, proliferate his... Yeah. No one's going to put him on any kind of throne or make him lord of anything because sure. it's it's a dead end. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So because of the station he's in and the world he lives in, all he can be is an influence, uh, uh, you know, influence peddler and power broker. Littlefinger, like we discussed last season or last episode, yeah. I don't know the limits of his ambition. Like yeah, you know, yeah. you mentioned I mentioned is the Iron Throne have his reach? You said that he he wouldn't really be interested in Iron Throne. He'd be interested in being the puppet master behind yeah, Iron yeah, Throne. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess yeah, I guess Varys could be that too, though. Could he? I mean, I don't like like we said before. We don't really know how the throne is inherited or passed down or anything like that. Uh, it seems like Littlefinger could never be on the throne anyway. Why do you say that? Like, how would he accomplish that? Can he marry into the throne? Yeah, what claim could, does he have? Could he, like, could Sansa become queen and he marries her and becomes king? I don't know that I mean, that's even possible. We debated about right of conquest last uh, episode. Sure, you in, take the throne, it's in, yours. In the feedback <laughs> section. But even then, it seems like with the Westerosi have a respect for at least paying lip service. That's how Robert was selected as king, because through his Baratheon blood ties, he actually had a... Uh, Targaryen blood and 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 yeah. I, if you remove the entire tar- living Targaryen dynasty, then he had the best claim. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that's that's interesting. And to see, you know, I guess we're gonna find out how far Littlefinger can go. I hope so. And it's super interesting to me. What if anything could possibly stop him? I have no idea. A dragon to the face. Dragon. <laughs> that would stop most things. Yep. Uh. Yeah, so Lice has got a Septon ready to go. She is ready to go. She <laughs> screams her head off uh, uh, when they reconsummate their marriage. It's if it was anyone else, horrifying. not disturbing, but with her, disturbing. Mm-hmm. Like, is Robin in the room at that point? Where is it? This doesn't kid? matter. Like, I believe he could be across <laughs> the narrow sea and still hear that. That's true. Yeah. My God, uh, the lungs on the woman. Yeah. Uh, imagine if Podrick had been in that room. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god as opposed to Littlefinger oh my uh, <laughs> let's move on to the discussions between Cersei and Tywin about the future of the Lannister Empire okay bloodline whatever uh, seems like they're going to marry Tommen off in a fortnight surprising to you that they're going to just you know betroth this 13 year old boy right away to the queen I guess they would almost uh, have to yeah right? not really I mean 
It seems normal. Are they going in this world? Are they going to? You think they're going to consummate? Uh, they probably are expected to. Yeah. So this show has done pretty clever things about aging characters up. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, mm-hmm. uh, Daenerys in the book was thirteen. She's like in her in, uh, early twenties, apparently, in in the show. Yeah. Uh, mar- marrying and and consummating Tommen to Marjorie be a little high on the creepo meter, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't. I I don't know. Give Is Lysa he post run for her money? He doesn't seem to be post pubescent at this point. So I think they would wait until. You know, he's able to produce a child for them to consummate. <laughs> so he's, so he's got that's some rounds in his chamber? Is that what you're trying to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. That's the whole point of consummating, right? Oh, boy. Yeah, I suppose. I'm, I, I'm going with a stepping away from the realism, the geopolitical realism, and just saying, as a show, well, okay. HBO... It would be creepy. Like, next year, this kid has got peach fuzz on his chin, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There... Once he starts shaving, all bets are off. Are they going to imply consummation are we going to have a sex scene with this we kid? are not going to have a okay. sex scene with this kid all right no 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 okay but i think it will be implied okay all right well you're you're a sick man jim <laughs> it's the world that brave, we're in. brave man taking that stand all right uh so she so that's going to happen in two weeks uh and then she said mm-hmm. she'll she'll be willing to marry loris after Fortnite. question i have for you why do the Lannisters need to marry off both of their children to the Tyrells? Wouldn't one money, money, money? Yeah, but like, so what? Um, if they marry off one of them, they get twenty five percent of the Tyrells' no, that's pi- a good pocketbook, point. and then if that's... they marry two, they get like a sixty six percent deal. What's is it a backup? I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of people dying that's on true. the throne. That's true. That's uh, true. And before they get to consummate, so, so a question. You're right, second. though. You're right. It seems like one would do. Um, maybe that's just how deeply in debt the crown, the, the, the crown is like, you know, one marriage that might be like, Whoa, I don't know. We're not in that deep, but two, it's like, oh, our whole family's invested. Yeah. Uh, question the second, why is Cersei and Loras so against this match? I mean, this seems like a excellent marriage alliance for both of them. Cause all they have to do is on their wedding night be like, look. I'm gay. You know I'm gay. Uh, I know you like fucking other dudes. How about we just continue the fiction that you're just frigid woman, and I I because that's how everyone views that's you, everyone you frigid views bitch. You. I I'm gonna King Robert it up only with the dudes, and you can plow Lancel and Kettleback and Moonboy for all I care, and Jamie, we'll just, and we can we can still be the beautiful red belted top tier power couple in court. And everyone think we're awesome. Like that seems like that would be a really good, sweet deal for both of them, and they could do seems that until like they're old and dead. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know what what is the problem there. I, I was my question to you, man. <laughs> well, my answer is I don't know. I guess it seems it like a good seems, arrangement. It seems in, I guess it's insulting to Cersei. Why that she would be paired with someone who doesn't eh, view just the whole brood as... mare thing, and yeah, you yeah. know the fact that you know she's being forced against her will, and she already did it once to Robert, and you know, I mean, I guess that, yeah, yeah, there's she, that, there's the whole know, being for nineteen years, thing. yeah, she was uh married to this guy who didn't give a shit about her, so. yeah, yeah, no, so I guess saying that I feel like a dick now, but anyway, I'm just saying if you could get beyond that, <laughs> what's that... the problem, Cersei? Come on. <laughs> Just it another like, nineteen years. It seems like a. It seems like it could be a sweet deal if they just work together. I'm with you. Uh, second huge drop. Lannister's out of gold, man. 
Oh, yeah. Last working mine. Three years ago. Uh, Tywin needs to get to shitting because the gold ain't coming out of his mines. He shits gold? That's the rumor. Hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I vaguely all. remember that line from okay. a while ago. Uh, so this, this in fact, makes it even seem more desperate, the Lannisters, because the one thing that they've had is money, 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 money as you yep. say. That money is gone. Completely gone. And not only and that, they're way far deep in debt. Yeah, they're they're lopsided here. Um, yeah, th- I mean, it, it totally makes sense to marry into the Tyrells because um, apparently they have money. I don't know how how do they have money? Do we know anything about that? They just have so they're you know this is kind of uh, what we've been debating for since the season started. The Tyrells have by far the most fertile part they have the most food uh, they yeah, have yeah. very favorable climate and they have a ton of people so when it comes to army and when it comes to supplies they're like the kings in fact the only thing the lannisters ever had was their vast material wealth well tywin seems to imply here that the tyrells have a whole bunch of money as well They'll i think go that's, a long it's, way it's because that because they're the you know they're the breadbasket westeros so okay. they're exporting all that shit gotcha. and they're you know Somehow, I don't know, but yeah, they're able, they were able to pay for half of the lavish uh, uh, royal wedding. So yeah, true. My my biggest question in this scene here um, with Cersei is whether or not Tywin actually believes that Tyrion is guilty at mm. all. Because I mean, Cersei is pushing that hard, and his face to me doesn't say that he buys that completely. No, but I I think you're right. But I also think he's impressed with Cersei in a way that he hasn't been often. Hmm. Okay. Like he impress uh he's he's impressed with her um you know, out of all he's really the only child that's trying to parrot his words back to him about the Lannisters and their legacy and all that, and she seems like she's meekly ready to go along with whatever strategy he has for her, just yeah. reminding her of the other two sons and what a bitter disappointment they've been. Yeah, and I mean, I think Tywin likes to hear they're the only two people who can trust each other. Mm. I mean, I I think he likes to hear that she doesn't trust people. Because <laughs> right. he certainly doesn't either. Right. Uh, let's move on to um, Arya, somewhere, I believe, in the Riverlands, heading towards the Vale. Saying her bra- uh, prayers. Were you surprised by any names on that list? Uh, I don't know half the names on that list, so no. <laughs> No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was I was surprised that Beric, the one-eyed resurrection lord from last season. Okay. Uh I you know, I understand she was mad that they let the red woman take Gendry, but I don't know if that's worthy of death. Hmm. I don't remember who the fuck Gendry is. He's yeah, you do. He's he's Robert's bastard, who was the Smith from King's Landing. Okay. Davos yeah, yeah, sent yeah. him off yeah, I remember uh, him. on a doomed mission to die in the sea because the band's never rowed a boat before, and he's supposed to row <laughs> like across the Pacific Ocean, I think. Okay. Sure. So yeah, you know, mercy killing basically. <laughs> um, surprised that he made it on a Thoros. Um, were yeah. you surprised by the fact that this is the first time the Hounds heard his own name? Were you surprised? Yeah, I was that, a little surprised by that. Were you surprised that the Hound's still on the list? If she has to say it every time she goes to sleep. And they've been traveling with each other for weeks at least. You would think he would have heard his name by now. It begs and the every question, name on that list. Why hasn't she killed him yet? She can't, apparently. 
Uh, yeah. She could have killed him in his sleep. I mean, he was yeah, sleeping right, and she was throat. gone. She yeah. got up, uh, packed her bags, um, got ready, got her boots on, did a whole yeah. bunch of stuff. And yeah, I mean, he was sound asleep. She, she could have killed have... him. I feel like she's relying on him quite a bit to get her to wherever they're so going. So she's using him. Yeah. I okay. think in the moment she needs him. Because um, what does she do if she kills him at this point? Well, the thing is... is Does she know where she's going? Can she even get there? Can she find food? What's a question to me is, does she know how vulnerable she is? Because I feel like with this water dancer business that maybe she has an overly inflated opinion of her own prowess and combat. Prowess and combat. I think you're right about that. Um, She probably feels she could hold her own in combat, but I don't know that she feels she could hold her own just getting by right in in the world right now right and even a guy like the hound can get killed in the fight i mean she's just one girl versus yeah whoever is out there rampaging um let's move on to back to the veil back to the eerie where lice is talking about some embarrassing secrets of sans's mother apparently had a sweet tooth yeah i was like for the the... sweetest and obvious thing like lemon cakes yeah lemon cakes not sweet no sour we're spoiled we're spoiled because america we got a global podcast. I don't give a fuck. We are the sweet. We are the sweet, fat ass capital of the world. Our you can't argue candy with that. is a weaponized version of all y'all's candy. And there's nothing yep, yep. you got. There's nothing, nothing that you got. We, we even we we've filled Hershey Kisses for a caramel. Game yeah. over. Just look at that, the... and that's a minor innovation of candy that we've got. Look it's at all shit. Twinkie. It's all shit. But my yeah. God, it tastes. It's it's like crack. Sure. Uh, I can't wait to get the feedback on that. Bring it. Bring <laughs> yeah. it. I, I, I got an international food market. I'll try it all. I will try it all. Um, but anyway, lemon cakes. Lemon cakes, height of sweets in Westeros, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Uh, you know, Lysa, it didn't take long for her to reveal the cray-cray side of her. Mm-hmm. She is wildly jealous of Sansa. Uh, do you think, and and I I thought in Instacast that Sansa did a very good job of lying on her feet. Um I don't think that anyone has ever said this about her except for herself. She's berated herself for being a stupid, stupid girl mm-hmm. whose dreams never come true. But certainly Peter's never said this. I mean, he's implied that she's not a good liar. And, and that she's naive. And she's and... naive, but he's never been this cruel. And you know, Yeah, yeah. He's but, always been very nice to her. But she she fed into what her aunt wanted to hear and thought on her feet, I thought, in a way that we haven't seen her do very often. It's the cry lie. The cry lie always works. It, and she she play, works it masterfully. I agree. Uh, where do you think this is heading? Uh, Jesus Christ, that's a question. I don't know, man. I, <laughs> where is what heading? Where? So, do the you fact think, that Sansa is lying to Liza? Do you think that Liza is completely is going to be cool with this from here on out? With her and Baelish. Do you think I, this would be an ongoing story issue? I think it will be. It's got to be because we know that really Baelish loved Catelyn. And Liza certainly doesn't know about that. Doesn't um, she? It seems like she does. Or at least she, does she strongly suspects. Because she said that, uh, you know, uh, you know, she, when the thing that set her off is when she says, well, you know that uh, Peter loves uh, your family. And she's like, you wanted to say you loved your mother. Huh. And then, you know, she okay. I don't think she's under any illusion that Peter loved her mother. But now that she's, she's dead... She's happy to be second... She's, she's happy to be, yeah. you know, the consolation prize, I think. <laughs> Jesus. Except for if Sansa's, you know, younger, That's... younger, prettier, more cat-like she seemed... Sansa waiting in the wings. Yeah, she seemed very um, envious of 
Sansa's youth and beauty. Uh, and I think if Baelish gives any hint that he's interested in her more than just a pawn or or a friendship, that she'll she'll be pissed. Yeah. And we've seen what she does when she's pissed. She tries to get little people thrown out of uh, moon roofs. Moon roofs? <laughs> Eject her at the moon roof? Uh, yeah. Right on. Okay. Um, so you're saying Sansa might, should, should be afraid of the moon door? Sure. The Sansa and Baelish. I think both of them have potential to go flying. All right. Uh, let's talk about Podrick and Brienne, uh, who is, you know, Podrick might be the tripod, the woman slayer, but he's a comically <laughs> inept squire. We don't actually know that he's got a big dong. We just know no, that no, I, he yeah. uses whatever he's got very well. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> Maybe he's got a fork dong or two dongs or three testicles. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows what's down there? It's a mystery. <laughs> But uh, what would you? Uh, I mean, this is just kind of comedy, right? I mean, sure. This is, this is comic relief. Is it surprising to you that Brienne was not more sympathetic? I mean, to... all her life she's been laughed at and said, "What business do you have wearing armor and holding the sword and being a knight and blah blah blah?" Yeah, good point. And now, the 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 problem with this analogy is Brienne is actually quite good at what she does, where Podrick <laughs> is just laughably bad. Podrick is good at what. He does, but all he does is pour wine. Yep. He's very good. He can fill a glass in half a second flat. I guess you're right. The things that Tyrion taught him, having sex with whores <laughs> and drinking. Just completely useless. He, he's ASAT. Yeah, but yeah, he just but never... useless in the real world. Except for he's not. He did save Tyrion's life, which is what eventually turns uh, the tide of Brienne's opinion, uh, which we're a little bit early for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's just move on. I'm I'm find myself enta- entertained by yet another Westerosi roadshow. It would be, I gotta say, really horrible to be on a horse that you can barely control for two weeks. Riding? Have you ridden a horse? I've ridden a horse. Yeah, riding horse. But I've never tried to control of, it. It's kind of terrifying. It sounds like it. Yeah, like especially the first time you get one up to a gallop, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you're you, you can't. Re- I mean it. The horses are just so stupid they don't know any better, but you can't really control that thing. No. It's 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 a it's a weird um kind of living symbiosis thing. Uh, I think horses are scary. Uh let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh Arya is water dancing. Uh yeah. or practicing ways to die. Uh what do you think of this scene? <laughs> that was really hilarious. I love that line. Uh as as far as the scene goes, I thought it was great. And we see a little dancing, we see a little uh, comedy, a, a, a little bit of, uh, I, I don't even know what to call it, when she tries to stab the hound. Yeah, it's played kind of broadly for laughs, but then he fucking kind of, but it backhands turns. her. Yeah, it turns real quick. Yeah. And it's like, haha, ha, ooh, yeah. oh no, I didn't yeah. mean to laugh at that. Also, a little touch of Boba Fett with the serial... Uh, uh, business, the first sort of Bravos. Um, you know, we as as show watchers and book readers have built this guy into this huge character in our minds that you know he's like this awesome sword guy. I feel like I was watching a Kevin Smith movie where some dude just comes into the Quickie Mart and deconstructs this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, who killed him? Marin, Marin, <laughs> Tr- Marin, fucking Trant. I could take didn't three have a of sword. Him. What kind of fucking? You know, it's like. Not knowing him the way we do, yeah. Uh, do you think the truth is somewhere in the middle? Do you think this guy's a little bit of a fraud? 
think he's, he was Miyagi, those... but he just never got past the wax on, wax off stage with Arya? Those who can't do teach is, you Ooh. know, what I've heard. Mm. And so he may have been an excellent teacher. And he seems like a competent swordsman, at least, when we see him actually fight. Uh, but maybe, yeah, he's not, he's not as good as he's cracked up to be. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there is a little shade of Boba Fett. Like, yeah. what have we really seen him do? There's that's a awesome? mythos around this guy right. that Arya has built up in her mind. Right. But who knows how good he actually is? I mean, he's good enough to uh, disarm two knights with a stick. True. Yeah. But also, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Do you think? Because there's some people that speculate that maybe he's alive because we didn't see him die on camera. Yeah, that's what I assume. Actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We heard a lot of battling, but we did not actually hear him go Wah! or anything like that. But so. we do know that Sir Marin Trant lived to beat Sansa. Uh, so why? Oh, okay. that's the problem. Unless that guy unless died, he escaped, how would he escape? I and guess retreated. I guess this could be just Trant lying because he you know to save face. He, I mean, he could have escaped the exact same way that Arya did. Just left out the door. <laughs> a, a third, a third character came in to sacrifice himself for his life because that's kind of implied that the reason. <laughs> no, he, you can run away. away. He didn't have any armor on. <laughs> the other true. guy the did. Other dude, he could run much faster. Yeah, he could, and like, he was more nimble on his feet too. Yeah, just kick him in the crotch and run. <laughs> okay, that's the bravosi way. <laughs> um, I got to say, the hounds laugh. He has this kind of girlish giggle at one point that is very Ron Swanson-esque. I didn't even hear that. In fact, it might be my new favorite guy giggle. Hmm. Um, so in less than a day, Trent had armor and a big fucking sword. Um, do you see Arya going more to the hound school of combat after this? Or do you think she's going to cleave to her water dancer ways? Oh, I think she'll stick to what she knows. Fair enough. I don't. I don't think she has the mass to pull off uh, a hound-style fight. Hmm. All right, let's move on to Oberyn writing poetry for one of his many daughters. I thought we were going to get a fiddler on the roof <laughs> full-on tradition, it, but no, it never got to that point. Um, this is a really good scene between him and Cersei, and Lena Headley, I thought, really uh, played Cersei to the hilt in this episode. Uh, getting maximum sympathy off of pretty much everyone that she... I mean, I, I even felt bad for her in her discussion with, with Marjorie. So what's yeah. your take on this? Uh, there's a lot in this scene that I don't understand uh, with their conversation at the beginning. Bring it. What do you want? What do you need? Uh, I'm I'm not even sure where to start, honestly. Okay. Um, well, that's going to be a barrier to communication. I <laughs> I agree. Why don't you explain a little bit more about... The conversation that they have because i was pretty lost well just he's just talking as about his eight her, daughters that her we know, daughter being over there like we, we know nothing about his eight daughters except for one sure of them one, the fifth Elia. one is a bitch apparently very well, troublemaker but i think cersei had a, a good point about maybe that's more of, of his the way he deals with her because she's sure. an unpleasant reminder of his sister um, but th then we we talk about like Cersei's daughter being over in Dorne, and I'm not sure. So she got shipped to why Dorne she was in season two during the War of the Five Kings because mm -hmm. Tyrion was very concerned, rightfully so. If Dorne sides with the Tyrells, it's pretty much game over because okay. that would be another huge, powerful kingdom uh, to the side of Rinley or Stannis or whatever. Yeah. By offering to marry her off to the Prince of Dorne's youngest son, I believe. Um, it did two things. It got Marcella out of the 
the the the king's landing because they were expecting an invasion at any time. Okay. And it also kept Dorne at least on his sidelines so their numbers weren't going to be invading the Blackwater along with them. So it's sure. a, it's okay. another marriage pact, right? All right. And since they're so young, it, it's and, a delayed and words are marriage. wind, they shipped her over there so she could also be used as a hostage for the Lannisters' goodwill until the day that they could be betrothed. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, any other thing that you're unclear on, or no? I think I think that was mostly it, like why okay. her daughter would be over there. Uh, I thought her line about you know what good is power if we cannot protect the ones we love, and he kind of walked right into her uh, uh, point of view by saying, "Well, we can avenge them," and she's basically asking him for help avenging uh, the death of her son. He she wants him to be influenced on his role sure. as judge of Tyrion. Yeah. Do you think and I'm sad but true line here by Cersei and these last few episodes have been of you know proof positive of this in her statement because he says you know in Dorne we don't hurt little girls Dorne is the new Starks they seem to be the most noble of people and and uh, you know honestly except these, for maybe Daenerys like yeah but her, she's not really a people she's a she's an army of one at this point she, I feel like she's going to become okay, a people. Right on. But Dorne seems to be fairly honorable. But as, as Cersei spits back, uh, everywhere in the world they hurt little girls. That's pretty much true. Sure. There's shits everywhere in, in all kingdoms. They get backhanded by the hound. They do. Um, do you think that Oberon was impressed or moved by this overture from one of his arch rivals? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, he seems pretty self-confident in his opinion. At all times. So what is his opinion, do you think? I really don't know what his opinion on... I feel like there is going to be some kind of wild card as far as his motives in this trial. Okay. Um, he's been given a very big opportunity here, and I feel like he could gum up the works. Do you think Cersei already knew that Tywin made a pretty strong pitch to win his support? I, I don't know. We're not shown any of that, certainly. Okay. It seemed like she didn't, wasn't because... Um, but then you, I got a lot of feedback from people saying that, you know, I mentioned on the, on the instant cast that it seems like a slam dunk case against Tyrion, but they uh, pointed out rightfully hmm. so that almost every POV character that's been asked the opinion has said, no, I don't think he did it hmm. now. Yeah. Granted, that's the inner court who knows what the public at large thinks, but it does maybe, maybe I underestimated the the weakness or what everybody thought because yeah I, I can't argue with the fact that everyone that's been asked has been either noncommittal or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no Tyrion didn't, didn't do it there's no way the other thing about this trial is it's clearly going to be a farce a I kangaroo mean, court yes there is no way that any evidence will sway anybody's opinion um, or ruling it's all going to come down to political motivations it doesn't. I mean, certainly from Cersei's vantage point, Tyrion is guilty. Um, I think Tywin is maybe up in the air, but you know, Oberyn has his own agenda, and I think whatever serves him most is going to sway, like whether or not Tyrion is found guilty. Mildly interesting. What do you think is going to happen? I like I said before. I think Oberyn is going to maybe be Tyrion's saving grace here. Um, they had that conversation where they kind of understood each other. Uh, when Oberyn first showed up in the city, I think maybe he's just going to want to piss off uh, Tywin a little bit and won't vote with him when he says Tyrion needs to go. So going to do a hung jury, basically? I think so, okay. yeah. I mean, maybe that's not even possible with three judges. I don't know how they're 
their voting system works. Do they it's need Rashambo if there's a tie? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's uh, sure. let's let's move on to the Pod right. of Brand Roadshow. Uh, add a list. Add add cooking rabbits uh, as a list of things the Pod has no idea what he's doing with. He tries to cook a whole rabbit. Yeah, doesn't gut it. Doesn't skin it. Just going to burn the fur off. Uh, Brand cannot even believe, and he offers help with her armor. She's very uncomfortable with this. Yeah, yeah. I feel like she's. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Why do you think she was so adamant about him not helping her? That's a really good question because I know, okay, given what she's clawing at, her shoulder with that strap, it doesn't seem like she could ever put that armor on herself. So it's not like she's worried about, like, Podrick removing her her defenses uh, metaphorically. It seems more like she just doesn't trust this guy yet. Yeah, I I feel like that there's she a touch, see the value. There's a touch of her being hesitant to because that's kind of an intimate act. Someone undressing you, basically. Sure, yeah. And I feel like that that's something that she wouldn't do with a, a virtual stranger. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. I, she would have to have a lot of trust and respect going both ways for a person that she would allow to help. Jamie could take her armor off. Jamie could take time. her armor, like you know. <laughs> With a look, take the it off. Armor with his, flies off. Take it off with his teeth, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Tony Stark's new Iron Man three armor, just like verbal <laughs> command, poof, it flies off. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, yeah. We we. She just doesn't trust Podrick yet. Yeah, I I agree. She will. Uh, turning point. Uh, when Pod she asked him, you know what what did you do? And uh, he talked about killing a Kingsguard by shoving a spear through the back of his head. We know that he's kind of actually underselling. His, his heroics in the Battle of Blackwater, I thought, being fairly self-deprecating. Uh, that seems sure. to do the trick with Brienne because she sees that, you know, this isn't just some indulgent Lannister bullshit, that this guy does have some metal to him. And he's extremely loyal. I mean, yes, for a squire to be out in the middle of a battle protecting his master, it's like, wow. Okay. Right. right. Uh, his duties might have been soft, but the man himself is hard. Okay. One of the reasons I like so much. <laughs> oh, um, God. Let's move on to Locke being Night Nightwatch Ninja. Yeah. Sneaks on into Craster's Keep, uh, something yeah. that Jon Snow is, is completely incapable of doing. Uh, puts eyeballs on Bran and company. Uh, we see Jojen has a vision of the Weirwood that is Bran's apparent destination we're trying to get to. Uh-huh. Bran's legs are a mile long. Like, they've done a very good job of hiding how fucking tall this kid is. But when yeah. he's tied up that pole and they're just, they're just splayed out like so many bean poles, <laughs> uh, there's not enough camera tricks in the world to make those nope. eight-foot-long, two-before studs appear to be anything less than yeah. what they are. And they really struggled with that with the, uh, with the breastfeeder kid. Oh yeah, as well because Baelish barely had to hunch down gave to him talk like, to him. They gave him like a bow-legged hunchback gait, and, and they but filmed it from a perspective where he looked smaller. But he's still really gotten big. Yeah, and, and the, they had the same problem in this scene. I'll tell you what, though, this show is extraordinarily lucky by casting so many young talents, and the fact that they all pretty much kick ass when they need to be. Oh yeah, I mean that's that is super rare. As yeah. we've seen in many other shows, when you put a, an eight-year-old in front of a camera, or even a ten or eleven or twelve-year-old, 
you have no idea what kind of actor they're going to become. True. What kind of material you're going to get to work with. And these, these kids can all deliver. Yeah, they do in, in every scene. And they're also, like, they may be getting larger, but they have kind of baby faces. Oh, yeah. So they look fairly young. I mean, Robin looks like That's he true. could be nine years old. Yeah. Except for his size. He's getting right. bigger. Right. But, yeah, same with uh, Bran. And it, I feel like the timeline is slightly less important in the show versus the books because, you know, it's taken us four years to go through this character. So it's like I feel like even though we know literally time hasn't passed that much, that you know, there's been so much that's happened that people yeah, could yeah. kind of be like, oh, well, maybe four or five years has gone past. Sure. It doesn't seem to bother people that much unless in, until you see Bran's legs and it's – <laughs> illusion completely shattered yeah definitely um i thought andy greenwald had a very uh awesome line in his review he's talking about the red the 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 weirwood okay he's like uh the big white tree um i forget what the exact line was but it's like staffed by house keebler <laughs> okay because <laughs> yeah. it does and after i read that the second third time i watched it i'm like oh my god it looks like the keebler elf tree yeah pretty much their motto is our ovens are warm our cookies are frosted our chips are sweet <laughs> Our chips are bittersweet. Uh, any, any, you want to, you want to join in on the are, are they the ones making the lemon cakes? They, no, they just make no. Cookies. Okay, all right. That's Fair uh, that's House uh, Debbie. <laughs> little, little well, Debbie. The, the lesser, the, the lesser, the lesser house, lord yeah. is called lesser Little Debbie. Debbie, of course, of yeah. course, and they supply the lemon <laughs> cakes for the, the realm. Okay. Uh... Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked the question, Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter first two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeny. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. What do you make of Jojen's hand being on fire? I don't fucking know. I okay. could not figure that out. I mean, he looks at the tree. It's clearly an hand. illusion. It is, because his hand is not on fire, and he sees it as being on fire. And if it were on fire... He'd be screaming. 
This isn't this isn't Dune the movie. What the hell? <laughs> he would be screaming. So what the hell? I really don't know what that's about. Uh, Does it tie to the tree at all? Let me ask you this. Okay. Do you think it's just foreshadowing for the end of the episode? The most the foreshortened shadowing. Of I the don't end know. Of the episode or has it got a bigger meaning? Um, because the- I could see it just being the end of the episode, but but they made a very prominent point to show it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know he's talking about like seeing uh, Carl's bones or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Oh, Carl. Uh, uh, yeah, it just doesn't feel like it was a one-off thing for the end of this episode because they had just showed the tree, which is obviously not in this episode. So. Lot goes back, reports to his brothers that there's 11 guys, there's no guards, they're all blind drunk. Yep. Uh, they got not a care in the world. Stay away from the hut with the hounds chained up, which is clearly fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then go back to see Carl deciding to quote-unquote visit Mira. Um, you know, I'm getting a sense there's a lot of people who have rape fatigue on this show. Sure. Because... You know, kind of, we started off with somewhat of the mishandling that the, that, that the showrunners did with the subject between Cersei and Jamie, But we've also just – this Crashers Keep has been a fucking something out of the Marquis de Sade. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just – each week seems to get worse and worse. And it's kind of getting to be like Theon's storyline last year. Like, we're Jesus. Mm. We get it, all right? Yeah. Mercifully, it seems like the storyline is over. It's got to be done. Yeah. But I, I want—I wanted to talk. I just wanted to acknowledge everybody's kind of fatigue and and uh, difficulty with this. Three episodes in a row. Yeah, oh yeah. And again, going back to the the Jamie thing, we're talking—you know—four out of five have had this mm-hmm. as, as a, kind of a touchstone. Anyway, uh, Jojen says, "Hey, boy, I see you die tonight. I see your body burning." Uh, and then here comes the Night's Watch screaming, <laughs> sneaking. And screaming. Again. <laughs> what the fuck? No guards. They're all drunk. They're more interested in raping than protecting themselves. And they decide to invade the village screaming and yelling. Yeah. I guess that's the honorable thing to do. But maybe you wouldn't have lost five black brothers if you'd gone in more Locke-like. Yeah, it's weird because when Locke sneaks in, like that's exactly how I would play Skyrim. I was thinking like, <laughs> oh, okay, he's sneaking right. around. He's watching people go out of their houses. He's going in to steal stuff. This does not seem like a good plan at all to run in screaming. Well, you mentioned when we were watching this, uh, the last rewatch we did together, that you're not impressed with the Night's Watch. Completely unimpressed. I mean, okay, so you have this episode, which is a fiasco when they finally run in, try to kill everybody. Uh, They could have encircled the camp and come at them from all sides and confused them. But instead, they just ran in in one stream. Mm -hmm. Dumb. Uh, Last episode, they were bickering and actively working against each other, trying to get each other killed, sending people off when they knew there was a giant force coming in. Like, So they're basically they like seem... every other force in Westeros. Just incredibly dumb and unorganized. Yeah, and short-sighted. Yeah. yeah. Is that a point that they're trying to make? or I, I, or don't, it, I know that Or horse this... thieves and rapists don't make the best soldiers. Exactly, yes. I know that this army is a hodgepodge of random dudes mm-hmm. uh, who are, you know, the worst of the worst um, and, and are only coming up here as an alternative to getting their hands chopped off or right. similar. Or worse. Right. Yeah. So I understand why they're not super organized and motivated, but at the same time, if this is all you have protecting you from this harsh winter that's coming, uh-huh. uh, the White Walkers, everything north of the wall, how can you put any trust in them to keep 
their their stance there. I just don't think anyone believes in that. No one believes. So in no the one White believes Walkers. that the White Walkers exist. I don't think a lot of the Black Brothers, previous to like a year or so ago, believed in the White Walkers. I mean, yeah, they've got it a might pretty be realistic right. take on giants and mammoths and shadow cats. And There's other shit up there. There's <laughs> other shit up it's there, but nasty, White Walkers, yeah. I think, and and dead men walking, I think, yeah, has yeah. been even legend to them. It's been so long since they've they've been they've they've come back. Have they sent anyone south to tell people? About the White Walkers and about yeah, uh, they sent the hundred thousand man army that's they coming sent to invade Sir them. Asshole Thorn or Alistair Thorn uh, down there, and uh, he got put off by uh, Joffrey and Cersei and Tyrion. Huh, um, okay. They sent him down there with the dude's hand, and yeah, yeah, it yeah, actually yeah. rotted to bones while they were that where they were waiting, and they kind of all laughed at him. Huh. So, so they don't sucks to be them. Yeah, they don't even believe it. Nice. It's all Grimkins and Snarks and Bumpkins and whatever they believe in. <laughs> uh, so I think this scene works really well as long as you don't think too much about it, which is par for the course of most television. Because what the hell was Locke's plan? Like, if his plan goes off without a hitch and he kidnaps Bran, is he just going to kill him? Is he going to smuggle him down south of the wall? How would you do that? There's, yeah. there's the fucking wall. There's the wall. <laughs> I don't Is know, he going to climb it? With a cripple boy? Is it necessary to bring him back? Like, I don't, like... Good point. I don't know what his plan is. He's still is. in the middle of the fucking north. I assumed north he was going to take Bran and go off on his own and try... But, yeah, once he gets to the wall... I mean, he could have slit all of their throats and then joined John's forces and then been like, oh, shit, you know? Or, of course, I guess it had been... You, you said there, there's supposed to be hounds here. I don't know. Anyway, I urge everyone to not think too much about it because then you can just enjoy Michelle McLaren's superb action direction. Okay. Uh, speaking of that, uh, Bran wargs into Hodor and goes yeah. on a fucking rampage. Hodor Unchained. Awesome. And damn near tears Locke's head off. I don't even know what anatomy I was looking at, at that wreck, at human wreckage that was his neck and shoulder assembly. <laughs> yeah, it was like a ruined collarbone or something It's like up. a three-year-old took a Lego and just set, just dashed it in the ground. It's like, you can kind of see where pieces <laughs> were supposed to fit together, but who the hell knows, you know? Yeah. Like, is that his, is that his collarbone? Is that his spine? Is it's... that... His femur jammed up there somehow? Esophagus? Like, who yeah, knows? Messed up. I don't up. know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I don't know what anatomy I'm looking at. I also like the fact that it's kind of played, or I didn't like, I thought it was interesting how they played it as this is kind of some kind of violation of Hodor. That warging, oh, yeah, yeah. Warging is not necessarily comfortable for him anyway, but then to, to come to and realize you just murdered a human being if you're that a guy was like Hodor. Key. Yeah. Is that going to, uh, is that going anywhere? I don't feel like it can, because uh, Hodor is such a dense character. Like, you know, I just don't think that it's going to factor into his his psyche gonna at see, all. We're going to go see the darken, darkening of Hodor? I don't, I don't feel like we will, no. Uh, he seems like a pretty... He'll be more Hodor <laughs> from this one point forward. <laughs> Maybe. He's got a taste for blood. He's like a grizzly bear that's attacked a piece. Oh, He's got to no. be put down. Uh, Bran gets to see John kicking ass, and he has a genuine choice. Uh, unlike when he was holed up in the tower and, and never saw him and, and John was kind of outnumbered. And if he had stuck around, he'd been killed. John yeah. is winning this fight and he did win this fight and he could have waited and, and greeted him. Uh, what do you make of that choice? I think he did it for exactly the reasons that, uh, what's his name? Jojen, mm -hmm. the seer mm -hmm. says 
I mean, if he goes to John, he's probably not going to let him go north. So that that seemed like, as much as I disagree with the decision, uh, a rational one. Um, so we're not done with the battle yet. Uh, Car no. he he goes into Craster's Keep. John does and confronts Carl, who displays all the skill of a mid-level hibachi chef. <laughs> He, he whips up yep. a mean onion volcano, and while John is transfixed, he stabs him right in his thigh bone. Uh-huh. Uh, then flips an egg into his hat, and it's almost over for John. And we get yet another lecture of the virtues of dirty fighting versus honorable castle-born, high-born fighting. Uh, but then we get the other point of that where the drawbacks of being an asshole – is you always have to watch your back for someone you've taken advantage of to knife you like one of Craster's wives did. Yeah, I didn't like that. I'm getting a little sick of this whole dirty fighting versus... It's not even that. It's the idea that... I, I don't feel like this woman would have jumped in to save him. You don't? No. I mean, I get that she wants to kill Carl because, you know, he's been raping people to death. That's not cool. But... Like, in this moment, why, why, why would she jump in there? There are 15 more guys outside waiting to kill Carl when he steps out. I don't know. I bought it. I honestly, I'm, um, it didn't, it didn't feel very good take. for John either. It was just like, am I supposed to believe that John is a badass? Well, not, apparently not as much of a badass as the local, uh, yeah, hibachi the gin, chef, the, like the, the, the gin alley, the most dangerous hibachi chef in gin alley. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> I want to see John being a badass swordsman. I don't want to see him being saved by some random. Hmm. I, I again, I think that's the point they're trying to make: the dirty fighting, the virtues of being honorable. Versus they were the certainly. temporary satisfactions of being a dirty fighter. Do you learn to fight in a castle, boy? I, like, I, I, but I get old that's, man teaching this is you. very well-worn territory. I feel like this, it I've is. heard the speech four times in this show in the last two seasons. That being said, I enjoyed the fight while oh, it was yeah, happening. It was well a cool, cool fight. I just don't like the way it ended. Okay. Um, I can see, I can see your point there. I enjoyed it. And I thought, um, you know, like our pal Kelly from uh, Up Yours Downstairs, she does like a live recap on Facebook of this. Uh-huh. And I, I thought her point of uh, killing the person who raped you still not as good as not being raped. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, but yeah. on the other hand, giving them a minor bit of agency and revenge and then having them kind of go on off to find found their own uh, coven, 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 coven. I think it's coven. Nothing says loving like a coven in the oven. Uh <laughs> They're going to find their own badass coven of wilding women, uh, which boy, if you're a, if you're a dude north of the wall stumbling and look for shelter, you do not you do not fucking want to stumble upon that village. Okay. No, probably not. Um, but no, I, I kind of I, I although I they like need at that. least one dude, right? Or they're just going to die out. I think they're fine with that. Okay, they will continue. Yeah. If if any of them are still pregnant, they will continue to offer up those sons to the White Walkers. Probably so. Uh, I, I did think it was really crazy how fast Jon Snow got to Craster's Keep. I expected at least one episode to go by, maybe two. We have no idea how long it takes to get up there and how much time sure. has passed. Like, it's I'm not with you, more but than it, a few days' just, ride, don't you think? In terms of, like, moving the story along, it felt very quick. Like, oh, they, I, they haven't really done that much in the past. Agreed. Like, they spent this, how this... many episodes up in the, the Great North? 
this season, especially compared to like season two, is yeah. moving at a breakneck pace. For sure. We've got a king dead already. Oh, yeah. Not even halfway through. I guess we're halfway through now. We are oh, closing <laughs> in. A couple minutes will be exactly halfway through, Jim. Okay. Uh, Rast tries to get away and gets ghosted. Yep. Uh, Ghost and John have a, a heartwarming reunion. I wish they had the CGI chops to make Ghost just full on Calvin and Hobbes John into some big dire tackle with big dire licks. Nope. Dire licks? You don't like that? You can dire lick my balls, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying no. Boom, I don't I want Zoolander <laughs> on you. Wow. Didn't see that coming. No, I didn't. Uh, well, anyway, what were you saying? We've gotten away my puns. I, I was just saying, no, they, they didn't have the balls to do it. They, they didn't they have the, the budget. CGI they chops. didn't have the CGI chops. Yeah. Uh, they have the budget. Kit I don't Harrington know where it's might going. might not have survived the scene had they done it, too. Maybe. That's a big fucking wolf. Yeah. But I liked it. It's boy and his dog. It's it's cute. Whatever. Bran fought a bear. Yes. That's true. Like, literally fought a bear. Uh-huh. With a herself. wooden stick. The actress. With a wooden stick. Yeah. I'd like to see Brienne versus Marin Trant with a wooden stick. <laughs> that would be a good fight. Uh, so, again, we alluded to this, but the women are set free of all male hierarchy. They're going on their own way. They don't even crash this house. Fucking burn it to Yeah. The they don't want anything. What are they going to do up there? Uh, I think... They now have to start cutting down trees, building forts, building houses. I think they did that shit anyway. Craster didn't do a goddamn thing. Oh, but, you're right. Yeah. But squirt a seed in their belly and offer his sons to the White Walkers. They did... I, I believe they did all the ranching, all the cooking, all the wooding, all the I'm whatever just saying, it takes to survive, because I clearly don't know those things. Some toes are going to be lost to frostbite. I feel That's like all their I'm life... Saying. I feel like their life's just got... Uh, they're they're going to be on... They're going to feel like they're going on easy street now. Yeah, no, you're right about that, though. Um. Anyway, uh, do you think... Serious question. Oh, no. Mance Raider's going to be pissed that Jon Snow, in fact, lit the largest fire the North has ever seen. <laughs> Is there going to be some it. fire I was going to do that. Yeah. Damn uh, it, Crow. It's a very serious question. Of course. <laughs> sure. Sure, he's going to be super pissed. Uh, that's all I've got. Do you got anything before we go into some light pimping and then feedback? No, I'm I'm still just confused about this tree thing. I don't know what the fuck good a tree is going to do when you get to it, Bran. But, Okay. All right, that's fine. Like that's mildly he's, interesting. He's seeing visions. All right, whatever. Uh, the the magic stuff is still. I'm I'm a little more on board with his magic stuff now that they've kind of defined the rules a little bit. Like, what can he do? Oh, he can warg into. Hodor. Are you seriously he can saying that into... visions are worth? I mean, the the U.S. military and all military spend a hell of a lot of money on getting real time intelligence on enemy activities. Do you know how much they uh-huh. pay for like fucking precognition? No, no one yeah. So that's like that's not nothing. Sure, I'm like I'm saying, I'm getting used to oh, okay. the the concept of what these kids can do. Right. Okay. Uh, one is a seer; he sees the future. He sees locations. The other one works into stuff. I get that. Okay. Um, so it's becoming a little more familiar and a little more defined, which I like. But I still don't know what value this tree is to Bran. He obviously has a mission to get there, but for what purpose? We're not supposed to know, obviously. They're chocolate That's chip. my big question. They're, they're chocolate lovers, double chip cookies. <laughs> Can single-handedly win the war is what it sure. is. Sure. No, I I mean, it'll stop the war at least. <laughs> Everyone's got to get a cookie in their mouth. Uh, yeah. So let's do some, so, some pimping, shall we? All right. Uh, 
If you like what we're do, uh, what we're do, what we're do, what we're do is some support. Uh, go to baldmove.com. There's a little icon that says support. You click on that. It shows all the different ways you can support us, many of which cost you nothing. In fact, one of the ways you can do that is use our Amazon uh, dot com. No, or, no, no. Wait, no. Amazon I, I'm dot there. I'm okay. getting there. This is a, are you pimping or am I pimping? <laughs> this is a journey. All right. Uh, this, we're going to eventually touch the weirwood tree. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Go to Amazon.BaldMove.com. It will take you to Amazon.com, and anything you buy in that session, we get a teeny tiny cut of. We're just vacuuming money out of Jeff Bezos' pocket, mm-hmm. and it is a surprisingly large percentage of our support. So if you're using Amazon, if you shop at Amazon, if you're enjoying all the great Prime deals, by the way, uh, Amazon Prime on the video side just got a large chunk of HBO's back catalog. Actually uh, dropping like March or May 20th. Yeah, it's not yet. But so it, not quite, but yeah. It's like winter. It's coming yeah. slowly but surely. Uh, and you can catch up on things like The Wire, one of the greatest television shows of all time. The Sopranos, which Sopranos, is one I'm watching right now. Deadwood. Uh, lots of great stuff. It's not – They don't. I think there's some kind of weird – like the last two seasons of everything is not on there. For the last two the years last worth. last three years. Three years worth. Yeah. Uh, but still a fantastic amount of content that you get free by being a Prime member. Uh, as well as the two-day shipping. We both love Amazon. We used it, the shit out of it. Yeah, yeah. If you do too, please use that link. And again, it's a way to support us for essentially nothing. You, mm-hmm. you, it costs you nothing. Go to baldmove.com, click on support if you'd like to find other ways. Uh, also, I'd like to spotlight uh, one of our mini affiliates. This week, I'm going to talk about the Picaud Show. Uh, Gerilyn, Amy, and Susan. They're three very funny, intelligent ladies uh, out of L.A., they're always up to some funny stuff. This week, they're talking about uh, – they got a book review. They're talking about Susan surviving a late-night session of dancing and a tribute to Dolly Parton, the great Dolly Parton. The great? The okay. great. She is great. Fuck she, you, man. She was great. I will fight you if you say, say something bad about Dolly Parton. She was great. I, 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 I'm old enough to My remember. mom thinks she's great. <laughs> hey, man. She was awesome on Johnny Carson. That's all I know. All right. Back in the day. All right. She's a great songwriter, too. Uh. That's it. Let's go talk about feedback. Okay. Uh, first off, I just want to kind of apologize for how sloppy our editing was last week. I mean, we somewhat infamously don't do a lot of editing. It's pretty much our <laughs> first takes. Uh-huh. Uh, last week is the exception because my computer ran out of juice midway through, um, which that's fine. That was actually kind of funny. Um, you know, we're editing all that stuff out. But the one I wanted to kind of apologize for and explain is our dick-sucking comment. Because this poor gentleman sent us in a really heartfelt, you know, note of thanks, and he's talking about losing his vision and and how much our podcast have uh, brought him happiness, and that's really cool. And I love reading that stuff. But we've had this policy since the days of our first Breaking Good episodes that because um, we used to read that and we're like, is this interesting to anyone but us? It's yeah. like it sounds like we're sna- uh, patting us on our back. And I can't remember which one of us coined it dick sucking because you love getting your dick sucked, but nobody else in the world wants to see or hear you do it, getting it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm not saying that, um, you know, some uh, some people say we're self-conscious about it. No, I, you know, I like getting praise as much as the next person. I just don't think it's interesting a part of the show. So I accidentally, sure. as, you know, when I'm cutting and pasting my notes together, sometimes uh, some of that stuff that I wanted to reply personally, because I, I put in two columns, like, you know, personal reply mm-hmm. and stuff we're going to use on the show and other. 
and I got those kind of lists confused. So um, I didn't mean to offend anybody, and I don't want you to feel silly if you do say, hey, great podcast, or start off your email like that, because, again, love hearing it. Just yeah. try not to read it on the show. <laughs> yeah, and there was a, we had a weird system also of recording. Uh, where I would record part of it, you would record part of it, and it got lost in translation. We were supposed to edit that out. That's the technical reason. Because yeah, it used now to be, we've we've changed that. Yeah, our used, process is different. It used to be Jim would record the main podcast like he always does, yeah. and then I would record the spoiler section that he's not a part of, and then we'd marry those together. Jim assumed that I would be doing the editing when he just gave it a raw <laughs> file. I assumed that he would have already edited it. Yeah. So, you know, I just did a kind of brief sound check on that, and, and away we go. So that's the technical reason. Yeah, we've simplified now. Shouldn't happen. Uh, well, I won't say that. Yeah, It'll say. probably happen again in the future, but we apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure the technical and social reasons for that. We probably spent too much time talking about it already. All right, let's well, get into the feedback proper. Tyler W. said... Peter Baelish might be the only person in the Seven Kingdoms who an- whose answers to fuck, kill, marry would all be the same person. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, God. Oh, classic. Email of the week. Uh, Jasmine G said, I disagree that Cersei was offering Marjorie an olive branch because of some sort of respect for her. Marjorie's father is a judge in Ty- Tyrion's trial, and Cersei's mission this entire episode was to sway the judges in her favor. It makes sense that Cersei would target him through Marjorie's connection to Tommen. That's a super good point, and I feel stupid for not getting that in the instant cast. Okay, sure. Well, you can feel stupid. All right. I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, I think it's also kind of disturbing that the, char- uh, that the characters in the show are so morally gray. I know that it's weird for the fact it hit me just now, but it really did. The hound bit slapped a child he had kidnapped in this episode, and I came away thinking, hey, he wasn't really such a bad guy <laughs> by Westeros standards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so why is it weird that characters would be morally gray? I think that's the normal. I just think it's um, – we're not used to rooting for morally okay. gray complex characters. In fact, we're almost trained that if a politician or a star or anyone that we admire, an athlete, mm-hmm. takes a performance answer, cheats on their husband or wife, or does uh, has a financial disaster, stuff that we all do yeah. from time to time – is to fucking pillory them. That's maybe I'm maybe I'm not as trained in that regard because I see people in general being very very gray. Right. There's no way you could be black and white in this world because the world is not. Now, so now, granted, Westeros is more so. I mean, we're yeah, yeah. we're morally gray is like cheating. Not well, that's not even morally gray. It's just an understandable lapse of human character when you cheat on somebody. Yes. Uh huh. Shoving a child out the window. It, yeah, and, and murdering your cousin—that's kind of like an eh, and rape. And, and, okay, he's kind of a bad guy, I guess in yeah. Westeros terms. You kind of try to find uh, the lesser of the evils to <laughs> did root he, for. Did he commit genocide? No. Okay. Well, yeah, then right. he's not that bad. Of a right. Guy. Right. Does he? Oh, does, everybody's killed does he a child. Intentionally torture people. Yeah. Does he order the deaths of dozens of infants. You know, that's yeah. the kind of scale of monstrosity that we're talking about. Cut right? off their penises and pretend to eat them in front of him. Right. Right. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So I I feel like it's a new thing though because we had this whole thing with Walter White where people were yeah. it was a weekly fucking discussion people wanting to talk about how they finally turned on him or how I'll never turn on him and yeah yeah it's it's I think it's something that we're just not used to rooting for heroes that are not necessarily heroic I think you're right yeah so um 
moving on to Devin O said, I think Cersei is actually not as 100% committed to the Tyrion killing of Joff narrative. She has everyone convinced she is, uh, the, is the only path that she has any interest in pursuing. In fact, it makes perfect sense to me that because her distaste for younger brother is so well documented, it's a shrewd way of keeping her actual suspects distracted from the investigation she's secretly conducting. Ooh, that is Cersei a CS. That's the, she's the C in CSI. It's the Cersei scene investigation. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Cersei is... secret investigation. Yes. Westeros so CSI is secretly doing an investigation of her own, with which we have no knowledge. Right. Well, I, mean, I think shown... he's saying that we're seeing it, but we're not in her head, so we don't know that this is what's happening. Okay. D- does he give like any idea of which parts of uh, of this season would be her investigating? I don't know. Let's continue with the missive because okay. we're not yeah. all the way through. Definitely. For example, the whole Joffrey was a monster part of the Marjorie Tyrell conversation reeked of steamy horseshit. If you ask me, she clearly didn't give a shit that her son was conducting himself like such a power drunk punk ass. My experience, people generally minimize the character flaws of the people they love when they meet an untimely demise. Even if Cersei had the capacity of intellectually accepting the truth about Joff, there's no fucking way she would be acknowledging it to the likes of Marjorie, except uh, for possibly Jamie. Of course, Marjorie is a savvy operator and is naturally going to be skeptical of Cersei's motives. However, it is a crucial time for her right now because she needs to marry Tommen to be queen, and that is not a done deal. Mm-hmm. So Cersei dangling an endorsement of that coupling is probably the most va- valuable play left in her arsenal. She's aware her influence will continue to diminish and will almost be non-existent once Marjorie marries Tommen and produces some princes and princesses to lock down the continuation of the Baratheon dynasty. Likewise with Prince Oberyn, I feel that she's genuinely feeling out the extent of his contempt for her family and whether he was likely to be influencing the treatment of her daughter while he is a captive uh, of the royalty of Dorne. Hmm. So he's basically saying, I think, that she was looking to see... For the Tyrell and Dorne reaction, because they're also the prime suspects. Okay. I mean, I don't give Cersei that much credit, I guess. And and maybe I should. Um, I I just don't see her as this mastermind schemer. I mean, look when she was trying to, you know, fuck over Tyrion with his whore. She got the wrong whore. Like, she didn't didn't really stack up against the other people who really are kind of masterminds and and manipulative. I, I, I mean, I guess I just don't have... I don't see her that way. The only thing, but, I can but say, it's a fair case. I'm not. I'm not saying it couldn't. And, be and the true. only thing I can say against yours, because yes, my natural inclination is to not think Cersei is that brilliant. That mm-hmm. Tyrion is exceptionally smart, yeah. and he did a very good job of cutting off all of her sources of information and power. Yeah, you know, he eliminated the gold cloaks. He kind of alienated Baelish. Yeah. Uh, he. What else did he do? Um, yeah. Shit. I'm drawing a. Bl- oh, he he threw. Uh, uh, the Grand Maester that was absolutely loyal to Cersei into the black, you know, cut his beard off and, and threw him into the black pits, the black dungeons, the black cells. Okay. So he did a lot to limit, uh, and he co-opted Varys as kind of his own man. So yeah. she didn't have a lot of sources of reliable sources of information or power, um, and I think she did the best she could. Uh, clearly, she's kind of freed of that now. Yeah, and if she goes directly to the source, uh, like... You know, Marjorie or um, Oberyn. Right. She might get information. Yeah, it could be. Devin had some questions. Uh, said, John Aaron, who is Robin's dead dad, he was the king's hand at the beginning of the story, correct? That is correct. Is that family considered to be equal to the Starks, or are they a very high-ranking ally of the Starks? If they are considered an important bannerman and an ally of the Starks in the North, uh, 
uh, let's see, I, I, I feel like I butchered his thing. He's asking about also how this connects with Stanza. Uh, the Sansa might Sansa that Sansa might be crucial, or is her relationship to the Tullys carrying more weight at this point? I mean, he might be talking about Liza too. Sorry, I butchered your email there, <laughs> Devin. Okay, I, but I couldn't really follow. I can answer the questions. He's asking like who the Arons are. Yeah, the Arons are, and they are uh, the wardens of the East. So okay, you know, Westeros is divided up into you know west, north, south, and the, you all have these various wardens who are like the uh, you call them, I guess, the Lords Paramount. The most important lords hmm. okay. and all the other minor lords kind of owe their allegiance to them, and then they in turn owe their allegiance to the king. Yeah. So John is that for uh, the eastern uh, uh, most parts of Westeros. Um, so he's kind of, I guess, equal. You'd say that he would be equal to the Starks. Yeah. Uh, his relationship kind of goes much deeper because he was uh, he had young Ed and young Robert Baratheon as his uh, wards, you know, because that's kind of like the Westerosi version of boarding school. <laughs> hey, I got my firstborn son or secondborn son, and I want them to be trained as a knight and mm. kind of moving up into power circle. So I'm going to uh, get him away from his mother and get him away from my influence, ship him off to another lord, and then basically you raise him. Hmm. You know, I've got him, you know, they're not sucking on mom's teeth. They're not shitting themselves. They're yeah. ready to be trained to be men. Go off and take them. Um, okay. And when the Mad King killed Ned's father and brother at King's Landing, he sent a message to uh, John saying, I want you to send Ned and Robert for the same treatment. And mm. John instead said, fuck you, raised his banners, and the, assert the war of the usurper began. So wow. Robert's okay. Rebellion, as it became later on known. So was that war all to protect Ned and Robert? Well, it's like we talked about earlier um, in the very beginning of the season. We talked about Dor the Dorn part of this and how Princess yeah, Elia yeah. was murdered and uh -huh. and what a shit the Mad King was oh, and yeah. how Rhaegar kidnapped, you know, uh, Ned's sister. I mean, there's a lot going on, but basically, the Targaryens had had gotten out of hand. That was the final straw. That, was Ned and Robert? Yeah, you know, breaking this marriage alliance um, and killing the Stark head of the family. Uh, and demanding their sons to be sent was like the final straw that broke the camel's back. And it was pretty much all out war with, uh, you know, Tywin's kind of staying neutral until the end when he came in and did the death blow. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope that's it. So, so they're not, they're not Stark bannermen. They're not even Northernmen. They're the veil is kind of its own deal. But um, that's always the smart play, by the way, is to stay out of it until everybody's weak enough to just roll over. That's that's certainly your philosophy in board games, Jim. It is. It is. <laughs> I try to stay out as much as possible. Good job, Tywin. <laughs> uh, so anyway, hopefully that'll explain it. Um, you know, the Tully relationship, that's a whole other thing because you've got the the Tullys who are the lords of the river Riverlands, and uh, they were the wards for Peter Baelish, which is how he got sweet on all the Tully sisters. Okay. And you know, started all that thing, but that's like again, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, let's move on to Mike B. He said, Please refer to Burn Gorman slash Carl Tanner as the discount William Defoe in your next podcast. <laughs> yeah, poor man's version of William I've Defoe. I've been calling him William Defoe. You have, you have, yeah. it's good. I think William Defoe, while nerdy, uh huh, I think is dangerous. I have a hard time buying this guy as dangerous still. 
Huh. I okay. think he did a better job this, even though he was very even after much, his hibachi antics. Even huh? after I, hey man, I love hibachi. <laughs> uh, he he that 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 onion volcano was top notch. <laughs> when he chopped up the cucumber and and distracted John by flinging it into his mouth, yeah, I yeah. mean that's 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 not castle fighting. Sure, uh, it, it was a good meal though. I mean, John needed one <laughs> after that long march. Terry B said, "In the first season, we were led to believe that Lannisters are behind the death of John Aaron, Aaron." I've struggled to pronounce that. Mm-hmm. He conducted an investigation where we think he uncovered the truth about Joffrey, Tommen, and Marcella. They're Jamie's children, not Robert's. So that all happened to be a coincidence and helped make for a good alibi for Lysa and Littlefinger. Yeah, basically. I, I mean, that's the one thing that I'm having trouble with. And But that's Littlefinger in action, right? Like, Littlefinger had his goals in mind, things lined up, and he used that to his advantage. Right. But so so you think that he is that that good of a plotter that he gave John Aaron the evidence of this bastardry, uh huh, and knew that Ned would find out too, mm. and then assumed that it was the Lannisters that was murdering John Aaron. There seems like yeah, there's one step in there that's missing. I kind of feel like I, here's what I think happened. I think Littlefinger just wanted to kill the hand. Okay. Because he knew that uh, the next in line to be tapped would be Ned. Mm-hmm. And he had in mind to kill off Ned and then maybe Cat would come back into his arms. Yeah. All the other stuff, un- makes sense. All the other stuff is this fucking uh, uh, chaos ladder that he was climbing. Okay. It's like, oh, whoa, they're assuming the Lannisters behind this? Excellent, <laughs> you know. And you know, Ned Ned's calling Tywin to court to answer for his crimes. Yes, you know, it's like this stuff is yeah. all his plan working better than he expected. Maybe that doesn't strike me as very little fingery. Really, he's talking about the 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 he loves chaos. And in fact, like for example, we got another email letter okay. down the line. I think he intended Sansa to be framed. Hmm. Like if anyone found out that Sansa was the one that was carrying the poison on her. The fact that Tyrion got fingered was just a bonus in his book. Wow. Like, I don't think okay. he cared who got caught. He had a plan to whisk Sansa away instantly. So True. she was going to be yeah. shielded from the consequences, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Tyrion got the bulk of the blame, I think, was just, a, you know, again, one of those things where he's like, yes. Yeah, you might be right. I could certainly see. I can I can see that in in the scene. Definitely. In right. The, the episodes. Uh, I said, speaking of coincidences, the whole poisoning of Joffrey right after he gave Tyrion a bunch of shit at the wedding. There's no way for the Tyrells or Littlefingers could have planned something like that there and you set go. it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, same email. Mm-hmm. Set up Tyrion to look like a murderer. Was it our intent to make it look like Sansa did the deed and Tyrion happened to be the lucky one who got stuck with the check? There you go. Uh, <laughs> related, Benjamin G. wondered the same thing. For the life of me, I can't figure out why Lady Olena would use Sansa's necklace to conceal the poison. It's not like she's getting patted down by security at the wedding. She could just have easily hidden it in her dress or something. The whole plot of planning on Sansa inconspicuously retrieving it during the wedding exponentially increases her chance of being caught. Am I missing something? Olena could have hidden a keg of poison in that dress. Sure. She wears a lot of clothing. Right. No, I mean, it does seem a little Rube Goldberg. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that it was all to, if anyone started the investigation, there was no, I mean, this is kind of like what you call like a, a, a spy term. I believe it's called a one-way drop. 
where someone goes and drops information and they have no idea who comes and picks it up. So if they're actually caught, mm-hmm. that's a in, that's a severable part of this the spy cell. Yeah, you can't get past that because this person genuinely has no idea. The only way they can burn that is then to set up an elaborate, you know, turn this guy so that he makes the same drop and doesn't give any tells, and then they, you know, surveil that area until they come yeah. up. I feel like this was a blind drop. But but the trouble is, Elena is still the link. Like she knows, she has to know. She's the one who took the, the only way jewel to get, and the only dumped way, the poison. And the only way that could happen is if someone saw her take Sansa's thing, saw her with the stone. I'm just saying she has the knowledge. The she has the knowledge. There is no severed but connection there. Well, but you know the people that actually are involved in the poison plot, which is Dantas and Sansa, had no idea Lady Olena was involved. Sure, I get that, but she is in still fact, like. F- why involve them at that point? Like like you said, why not have Elena, who is going to have that knowledge anyway, put it in her dress or something, or wear the necklace herself? I mean, obviously the necklace was not a problem to get into the wedding. No, I just, again, I feel like um, it's plausible deniability. If she's wearing a dress, it's miss. I mean, I don't know. It's, again, uh, it, it, it's a little Rube Goldberg, but I feel like it's designed in, to shield as much as possible the serious players from taking the blame under the worst possible. Sure. The only way they would have taken the blame is someone actually caught her putting it in the cup. Yeah, or, you know, she confesses for some reason. But that would never happen. Compelled to confess. Because no one uh, suspects her, because this yeah. actually is seen, I think that's one of the other mysteries, where you're like, why did they do it now instead of after, after the consummation? Mm-hmm. Since this puts the Tyrells in kind of a, a little sticky wicket, that might be a little bit of chaos they're willing to endure to completely shield them from blame because it does look on the surface like this is a bad thing for their family. It it honestly looks on the surface like Sansa did it. Mm-hmm. Like Sansa was 100% responsible she for has this. The mo- and she has the means during and the, the, the motive. Yes, and she escaped immediately. Yep. Uh, now she's gone missing after the king dies. What the fuck? And we know she hated the king. Yep. Everybody knows that. No, it so, seems like it was designed to frame her, and Tyrion just got caught up in it as blowback. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm coming around to that for sure. Um, if we don't see that during the trial, that being at least brought up by Tyrion by somebody, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if Tyrion would do it because he cares too much for Sansa, I think, or mm-hmm. or at least feels badly that she's got caught up in all this. Um, if we don't see that in the trial, I'm going to be shocked. Okay, and and a little annoyed. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm kind of curious to see how they handle the trial myself. Or if there is a trial. Who knows? I don't even know if it'll make it to trial. We'll see. It's going to be a, you're all out of order moment. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you're damn right I ordered the code red on Joffrey. <laughs> uh, Janine S., a.k.a. the Dragon Walker, wants to uh, give homage to or pay tribute to the sound engineers on the show. Okay. It says, close your eyes and listen to the sounds of these battles and the neck snappings and breakings. It'll make mm. you want to puke. The sounds of Asha and Mira skinning rabbits last season was bad enough, but this is something we talk about in Walking Dead in quite a bit. The uh-huh. fact that they are just really good at the sculching and the squishing. And this show's given a run for its money. It is pretty, it is pretty gruesome. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Robert Rush said, can you talk a little bit about the Reeds and who they are and why they sought out Bran? I honestly can't remember how they originally convinced Bran to go north of the Wall or whatever he's going up there for. That tree, the Three-Eyed Crow? 
These recent episodes where they were caught by the gang at Craster's Keep reminding us, or kept reminding us that they're highborn, and when the goons captured them and were asking for what they were doing, I thought, yeah, good question. I forget what the fuck they were do- going north of the wall for. <laughs> uh, whatever it is, it obviously didn't make an impact with me that Bran would go so, so quickly trust these people and run off with them. Was it just the bond of dream sharing or whatever they were doing when they first came about? How did the Reeds know to seek Bran out and find him in the first place? The answer, as always, is magic. (laughs) All very good questions. I think the reason, uh, as far as I remember, that Bran is following them is because, like you said, of the bond. They're not both wargs, they're not both seers, but they both have this special ability. They're both kids. Uh, That I think that's why he was following him, right? Yeah, and it happens slightly differently in the book and when they're introduced and whatnot. But in the show, uh, after Asha and... Rickon and Bran and Hodor flee Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're you know wandering through the, the wilderness, and the reeds, the reed children, come upon them. Yeah. And Jojen explains that he's a green seer, and that he's had these the these green dreams that have led him to Bran. <laughs> and okay. you know he knows about the three eyed crow, which is something that Bran has been get, trying to get answers for since he got mm-hmm. paralyzed, basically. And he said, "I've got the answers for you," and they lie north beyond the wall. Okay. Who the Reeds are, uh, the Reeds are Bannerman of Ned Stark. Uh, Howland Reed, which is their, these kids' fathers, which we have not met, um, is one of Ned's closest allies and confidants. The term Bannerman just means they've pledged allegiance of some kind to, yeah, to, they, yeah. uh, to a ruler. Okay. Yeah. And the, the Reeds and the Starks have a very close relationship. Um, and the Reeds are... Uh, not a race of people, but they're a, a, a clan of people called the Cranogmen hmm. that lives in the neck, which is, you know, how Westeros is shaped kind of like a peanut. Sure. The neck is that like pinched in point that separates the north from everything south. And it's okay. a big swampy marshland. Um, and it's one of the chief reasons the north has very rarely been invaded because you have to funnel all your guys through this shitty yellow fever infected swamp that's full of these swamp people that use poison arrows and know the land like the back of their hand. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a nightmare to yeah. attack. Also their main castle is somehow movable. Like no one knows cause we haven't <laughs> seen it in the books, but people speculate okay. it's like mounted on big pontoons. It's like this big swamp hut that they can move swamp their castle. Yeah. They can move this thing from various points in the swamp. So like if you go to attack them, it's like you're trying to hit a moving target all the way. You're bleeding people. Huh? So, um, fun fact, uh, Howland Reed is the only person alive that now knows went down in the tower of joy where we talked about, um, how Rhaegar assigned his top three Kingsguard to protect or defend Lyanna. Um, uh, Lyanna Stark, and uh, Ned took seven of his closest friends, one of Howland, uh, Howland Reed being one of them, and he he and Ned are the sole survivor of that conflict. Hmm. So there's a lot of mystery surrounding that in the books and whether we'll ever meet Howland Reed and all this other stuff. So hopefully that was enough without getting into spoilery, and we can move on. David H. says, I love the detail in the show. For example, when Danny suddenly excuses everyone from her small council meeting, Grey Worm snaps and acts instantly due to his slave training to instantly obey commands, but everyone else gets up slowly while grumbling and exits. <laughs> Good point. And that is, that's the uh, 
kind of the key thing that shows the passion of these filmmakers. I mean, sometimes they don't do everything exactly right, but you can tell their heart's in the right place. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like Peter Baelish's accent has changed significantly this season? It sounds different <laughs> to me. What do you think, Jim? Uh, <clears throat> it's really hard to tell because when I watch The Walking Dead and I watch season four, uh, I don't believe that Rick's accent has changed at all. Okay. But I saw a clip from season one, and his accent has definitely changed. Sure. It's gotten far better. It's gotten better, a little bit more Batman-y. A, a, a little bit lower, a little bit, yeah, more gravelly. Um, I haven't gone back and watched season one and really paid attention to Littlefinger's voice. So I'm going to say I don't think it's changed, but who knows? Who knows? I think it has, because I did watch a couple of first season clips. Oh, yeah? Um, and I did notice that he is talking a little differently. Okay. And I think... What explains it is a deliberate, um, uh, a deliberate acting choice hmm. that he's got this court voice that he uses that's a, like a little bit higher and readier and more non-threatening, okay. subservient. Uh, and then he's got his power, like Littlefinger triumphant voice, where he's a little bit cockier and full of himself. And that's kind of the voice he used when he was doing that long monologue while he's watching a horse fucking in season one. I think you get a little shade of that. Okay. But as he gets more and more secure in his position, he's using more and more of this power, intimidating voice. Um, and yeah. I think that's kind of, I think it's a deliberate acting choice. Okay. It's not a different accent so much as just a more forceful um you know, staccato way of talking, I guess. Yeah, and people are saying, I guess he's getting more flowery with this speech as well. He's mm. throwing a lot more uh, flair in there. Flair. And, and I'm okay with that. He needs at least 23 pieces if he wants to. <laughs> yeah. Really shows individuality. Uh, Tack YL, which is becoming a weekly, a de facto weekly feature, wants to play the name game with us, Jim. Okay. These First of his name. These... Uh, these very wi widely and wildly in their quality and re relevance. I yeah okay so I can buy that. We will see how this one stacks up. Possible meanings: Tommen the new king, first of, of his course. name, of course. Okay. John Aaron, the first of his name, and the reveal of who poisoned him. Little stretch. I mm -hmm. I don't know the, enough history about the Aarons to know if that's the, if if John is the first lord with that name. Yeah. Uh, Littlefinger possibly coming the head of House Aaron, whose house words don't mean anything anymore. As high as honor, <laughs> it's more like as high up Littlefinger's ass as Liza Aaron's head is. Um, okay, okay. yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's been a, a Peter Baelish, uh, probably as, not as Lord Paramount of the Vale. No, he's he's not highborn, right? Um, he's just kind of a dude who has gained a lot of power through money. So. I here's and you know, here is another thing about royalty as an American I don't understand. Okay. Like you know, there's there's the lowest level of royalty is like a knight. Okay. And then they and you, can, you can be knighted. You can be knighted. Yeah. You can be it doesn't have anything to do with blood. No, it's like it's 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 you are now granted nobility. Yeah. By uh, someone else of nobility for recognition of your deeds or your service or whatever. Okay. Um. But there's also like a slightly lower class of knight called a hedge knight. Oh, and they say that because these are knights that have no lands. Okay. Like they don't. I okay. mean, and that's so. So they're it's like they're knight of a hedge. You know, they're like they're just homeless basically. Uh -huh. So they always say homeless knight. So 
from what I understand, Peter's grandfather was a hedge knight. Mm-hmm. His father got in really good with the uh, Tullys, I think, or might have been Arons during the War of Nine Penny Kings, which is a conflict that happened a long time ago. And that's why he ended up getting fostered with the Tullys. And then, you know, he impressed them, and that's how he kind of got into um, – he was given a very minor role within the Treasury Department, and he rose to Master okay. of Coin really fast. So, so he was given a position that was higher than his – than how he was born, I guess. Right, and he's already not a hedge knight because they they do own like the the shittiest of lands you can, but they actually do have land by the time the story joins us. Hmm. The... But he's not a knight, so he's some kind of nobleman at this point who owns lands. Yeah, because a knight also is not hereditary. Yeah. Um. So you're right. He is not. A, he is not a knight, and he's but but he is styles That's very of... confusing. <laughs> but I think I so he's not a knight, but I think his father being a knight somehow elevated him to some very small lord status. Okay, maybe somebody who really understands Because when you become a knight, the one thing you do is you take a crest, sure. and a sigil and words and you become a house, like a, you know, okay. you become a great house. Now that's like you can be the smallest of the great houses. Yeah, yeah. And no one can take that away from you. So there's house Baelish? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, or whatever his father's name yeah, was. Yeah, they they actually have a uh, Zoom Baelish. They actually their sigil is the head of the Titan of Bravos, which is the big statue, like uh, hmm. you know, the like the big colossus that that strides over the the uh, the town of Bravos. Okay, the, the sea entryway. So yeah, but he he but I think they explained this in the first season. But he actually uses the Mockingbird because it's less it's it's more of a personal sigil hmm. for him. Okay. Very confusing, and again, it's it all. Is. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like when I'm watching Downton Abbey, and they're talking about you know why when you call person your worship <laughs> versus your grace versus, versus lady madam. versus yeah. yeah. It's like I don't get it, but that's kind of the high level overview of what's going on there. Okay. Um. Let's see here. Moving on to Javon W. I've just finished the books, and I'm not complaining, but some may consider this didn't happen in the books to be a spoiler. For instance, saying that this most recent Brand John storyline didn't happen is basically saying they won't die here because they have other things left to do, which can ruin the tension. Just saying. I got this several times, which is why I'm deciding to address it. Yeah. I don't consider that a spoiler, and here's why. Saying that this didn't happen in books could be another way of me saying that, you know, Brand is supposed to be dead, or is supposed to die, or John is supposed to die. Or it didn't happen this way in the book. It is nothing. I mean, I feel like if you're saying that, you are making assumptions that are not present in what I'm actually saying. You have to be because you are stating a negative position. Because, again, it can be just as surprising if someone doesn't die as that they do die. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think that's a spoiler. Yeah. And the other thing is I already feel like I'm very handicapped by – and I get it from both sides. I mean – and I'm not complaining because, again, it's it's all just data, right? Some people say you are really too handicapped to talk about stuff because you refuse to lead Jim around by the nose. And then I get other people saying that you're really reading, leading Jim around the nose. I hmm. try to strike a balance between I sometimes bring up your – ask your opinion on things I know are irrelevant. And I sometimes ask your th- yeah. opinion on things that I know are relevant, and I try to mix it up so people, you know, I, I think I spend a lot of time thinking about how to present yeah. this thing. And sometimes I really want you to comment on something, but I, <laughs> I've heard other podcasts where the fucking book readers hammer that until they get the answer they want out of the guy. 
And yeah, I'm not yeah. interested. And but. I have, I will say that I have never felt like I've been led around or like you've given me any information that I didn't have mm-hmm. from the show. So, so the idea that you are leading me around, I think comes only from people who have read the book and are reading very much into what you say. Right. As a show watcher only, or people that are I can't do that. Or, and, and I think that's the key, right? Yeah. Or there's people that are just, in my mind, way too paranoid about spoilers. Sure. Way yeah. too fucking paranoid. Like, the yeah, you hint. you are very. I, I'm you're, the you're okay with spoilers yeah. for the most part. Yeah. I'm I'm really not. Yeah, I, I know we have a philosophical agreement, but I think there's some people that like don't even want they hear in speculation. Yeah. Like, there's some people that considered, um, you know, speculation like in the last season of Breaking Bad. No one had spoilers for that. No. Mm-hmm. But some people came really close to what the ending is, and people like I was kind of disappointed. It's like, well. You got to decide whether you want to participate on the internet and participate in podcasts, or you want to be completely virgin and have no one yeah. influencing the way you think and no disappointments, and only you can make that call. This show, I try to be very show first. I try uh, to put background for the the show watchers that want it, but you know, and again, I'm not complaining when people send this because this is how I know how I fine tune. You know, when people say I'm sure. being a little too easier, people say I'm being a little too spoilery. I I, I consider that and going forward. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to explain our particular show policy here. Okay. The same thing is like for other shows. I don't. I try not to spoil other shows for the last two seasons. But you know, I had some people mad at me that I gave like a season three Mad Men spoiler. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> That's at four some years point, ago. At some point, you gotta catch up, or you know, you're just going to go through life continually being spoiled, and that's not the rest of the world's fault. So, yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't spoil the ending of a show that's only a couple years off the air. Certainly, but but when you're talking an early season of a show that's been on the air for seven years, yeah, what do you, what do you want? Or like, you, you want know, us to not talk about it in context of anything else? Right, that's very hard to do because I don't. Enjoy and and these it's things. not as useful, in my opinion. No, and I don't enjoy these things in a vacuum. Yeah. So anyway, enough of the navel gazing. I just want you know, I got a couple. That's probably a third or fourth email about that that I've gotten the last two weeks. So I just wanted to bring it out and address it. Okay. Uh, wasn't meaning to pick on Javon in particular. I just was using that to springboard to talk about my views. Sure. Mr. Rock and Rock says, slow and steady wins the race. After biding his time on the sidelines, it seems as Jorah's patience is paying off. Maybe Danny's finally growing out of her experimental college phase because the <laughs> antics of Dario Nyquilis seem to be wearing thin. First, he was late for roll call because he was playing sword chicken with Grey Worm. Then he took the Miranese Navy without her consent. But his downfall may have been his decision to shear off his golden locks, dye his hair brown, <laughs> grow himself a beard, and shrink by half a foot. Bad call, Dario. Uh, what do you make of uh, Jorah and Danny's relationship at this point? I think it's still as strong as ever, and and maybe more so. I mean, she she understands the value of his advice, I think, more than ever, because she says, you cautioned me against this previously. This rash act. Yeah, and now he's doing it again, and I think she's understanding the value of his advice. Mm-hmm. Like, she was a fucking kid yes. when she crossed the sea and and was supposed to be married off to this one dude. Right. Whose name I can't remember. It doesn't matter at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so she's learned a lot. She's grown a lot, and I think she's seeing the, the value of experience in these types of situations, and... Jorel has plenty of that. I know his name is Jorel. Okay. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, I can feel fans. <laughs> I can feel the veins in their heads throbbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but do you? I just I mean, watched Jorah loves her recently. So, oh, okay. Jorah loves her. Do you think that's ever going to happen? Uh, it doesn't feel like it. No. All right. It just it feels like their relationship take is your, not one of that kind. I wanted to take your temperature on that. So it's 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 something he's going to continually be disappointed by. I think so. All right. Yeah. She's more interested in Dario at the moment. Under subheading, Mr. Rock and Rock uh, continues called the consummation heard around the world. Baelish and Lysa's courtship is very reminiscent of slide, Sideshow Bob and Selma's from The Simpsons. <laughs> I can even picture Baelish in a poised scrubbing of the icky bugs under his skin. That's right over my head. I oh. don't watch Simpsons. You ne- you. I wasn't allowed to when I was a kid, and so I never it never oh, hooked me. Wow, yeah. Yeah, 25 the, years later, and I'm still not watching it. The cult upbringing strikes back. <laughs> All right, well, everyone else in the world got that reference. So okay, cool. You're like Captain America here. Tony, did you see the Avengers? Do you not get that reference either? I know who Captain America okay. is. All right. All right. Just I don't I don't know, man. You got weird <laughs> gaps in your pop culture. History. I read a lot of Captain America. No comic Harry books. Potter, no Princess Bride. It's like True, yeah. I just never know. All right. Now no Simpsons, my God. <laughs> uh, Tony T says Vera said Littlefinger was the most dangerous man in Westeros. He said a man with no motive doesn't make for a target, but I don't buy that. So what is his motive for his actions? Is Baelish a master manipulator that can foresee all the chess pieces? Uh, and their moves before they actually make them. Is this why he's married to Lady Lunatic? Because down the line he can see everyone killing themselves off and leaving just him, Lady Luda, Bobby Boy, and Sansa. Clearly his next best replacement for not getting Catelyn to rule the Seven Kingdoms. What would you say the odds are on House Tully taking over? Or does he really not have a motive and simply wants to watch the world burn? I don't buy that Littlefinger doesn't have a motive. I know we've talked about him being an agent of chaos. Um, and him enjoying chaos, but I think he's smarter than that. And chaos could just as easily lead to his death or or his, you know, demotion. I think he kind of alluded to that in the last episode where he's like, you know, people that don't, there's, the world's full of people that don't risk anything. I risk everything. Everything has to include his life. Sure, but I don't think he would risk it just by creating total chaos. He's yes. got to have a plan. No, I think he plays the percentages, and he um, and, and he knows that um, he's probably not going to die, and he's covered his ass as best he could. But like yeah. with the plot last week, Lady Elena could have been trying to root out Littlefinger's uh, <laughs> sh- uh, shittery. Yeah. True. And as soon as he, you know, she made an overture, it could have been a sting operation. Yeah, it's interesting. So at some I, point, you have to decide: I'm letting go of this branch while this one's just out of my grasp, yeah, and I, I could yeah. fall and die. But you know, and and he and I think that's that's kind sure. of what he does. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I will say, and again, the Littlefinger plot is pretty much catching up to the books very quickly. So I just also want to say. Sometimes I say this isn't happening in the books or I make specific saying that this is not as me as a book reader because I think if I don't say those things that people will assume that I've just fucking gone insane and given spoilers. <laughs> okay. But I thought about, you know, Baelish a lot here. Yeah. And it seems if one is an agent of chaos or he likes just throwing hand grenades in in a room mm-hmm. and seeing as that as far as most people know there aren't dragons in the world. Because mm-hmm. that's how the veil was conquered the last time. They just fucking flew a dragon to the top of the mountains, like, yo, here we are. Bow down. <laughs> bend the knee, bitches, or it's all going to burn. 
Yeah. Um, being in the veil that hasn't been conquered for a thousand years seems to be a really good place to launch grenades from. Yeah. Yeah. I, sure. I mean, it's never been conquered as far as we know, right? Uh, not again, outside of dragons. No. Okay. And that was pretty much just a, an applied threat. I mean, it wasn't yeah, like yeah. conquered. It's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it, they didn't burn it like Harrenhal. Right. But it wasn't like conquered, um, you know, like put to the torch and yeah. all that way. Um, okay. So I, hmm. I just felt like when I'm, when I'm reading these machinations, I'm like, I feel like that maybe that the worst is yet to come. Because of his grand plot is to seat himself in this impenetrable fortress, uh, you know that's yeah. I mean, he's eventually a great place to la- launch attacks from. Sure, but I mean, what kind of attacks? So he doesn't have an army at this point, which is a good thing for Westeros, oh, but, right? Because otherwise, Baelish would probably rule the fucking. Kingdoms. I think that's that's a line that Tavares had. He's like, you know, Lord Baelish started with no lands, no titles, and no army. Now he's got lands and titles. How long till he gets an army? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're right, but think about what he's done so far. Yeah, being in an extremely exposed, vulnerable position. Oh, I'm with you. He, so I'm saying, like, like, when I say launch attacks, I don't mean like raise armies and yes. banners. I'm talking about just naked manipulation and political fuckery. Yeah, and where I was going with that is he's eventually got to come up against an army of some kind, like either King's Landing or more likely, I think, Daenerys with her army. Mm. Um, it, it seems like at some point he's not going to be able to influence like a, a Daenerys-type figure. She doesn't seem very influenceable except by the people directly that she's surrounded herself with. I just keep thinking those are all mildly interesting points. Okay. <laughs> I keep thinking that um, they keep mention about what a blood grinder, a meat grinder, assaulting the veil, assaulting the Eerie is. Yeah, yeah. And that it would be interesting, and Peter's the only one that knows, or one of the only ones that knows many of these secrets, the fact that he has caused so much bloodshed and death. Mm-hmm. What if he uses that to, like, taunt somebody in the future? Like, hey, I did this to your kin – and I'm responsible for all their deaths. Come and get me, and use hmm. that to destroy one of Just the because all the army, army, everybody's bled. Yeah, everybody's bled in the Seven Kingdoms. Everybody's in a weak state. That's something Daniel's talking about. Yeah. What if he uses that to kind of like fire up the meat grinder, and then you know by by limiting his losses, and then I don't know. Sure. He could definitely do that. But there's, I mean, there's so many players still left on the board. It's hard for me to kind of like. Yeah, you know, like Littlefinger's going to throw his hat in the ring at the end too. He's got – I mean, there's got to be going somewhere. Yeah, why, why else? He's in it for power. And right. as Cersei said earlier, power is power. So right. eventually he's got to actually get power, but not shit. just money and influence. You know, he could be dead at the end of the season, and it's all – turns it There's up, that. So you never Yeah, he could, have, he could be beheaded at any moment. Uh, let's continue to David J. Said, since Sandor picked Arya up, but especially since the Red Wedding, it seems like he's been trying to beat the Stark out of her and show her it's dangerous to have needless honor or mercy. Or, in the case of Polliver, revenge. I took the scene with the farmer and his daughter not to be about Sandor being mean, but showing her why she shouldn't trust anyone. This is from last season? Okay. Or, uh, this uh, last sorry, episode. last episode? Yeah. Uh, this week's episode is more of the same. He knows Arya's mm-hmm. going to have to be on her own eventually, and to do that, she can't be romantic about letting dangerous people live or starting fights with people she can't actually win. It seems He seems less frustrated that she still wants to kill him than that she doesn't understand how killing people actually works. <laughs> I thought that's a really good point. Yeah. That, and you remember, 
the person she idolizes right now, the C- the the first sword of Bravos, um, he wasn't necessarily always nice to her and teaching lessons either. No. And he was kind of breaking her down and breaking her arrogance down, and she internalized all of those concepts. So I could buy that, you know, the Hound, It's like it feels like all these people she comes into contact with her life, Sirio, uh, Jack and Hagar, who's the faceless man assassin, now the Hound, they're all teaching her a different aspect of what it means to be a trained, dyed-in-the-wool killer. And okay. what... That's kind of a scary thought to think that that's that just... <laughs> where this little girl is being shaped into. Yeah. Yeah, eventually enough of those puzzle pieces come together and we get the picture of a killer. <laughs> yeah, I often wonder, would that be interesting if, like, one of the Starks ends up being a villain? Like, I think it might be. Go yeah. completely dark? Sure. Um, and and I mean, they've been them. kind of single-tone the entire series. Right, right. Um, Nicole K says, I was profoundly, this leads right into my, my point. Nicole K, I was profoundly affected by the scene where Bran warged into Hodor and what it says about power in that world. Remember the riddle that Varys told Tyrion? The priest, the king, and the rich man only have power because the sellsword buys, uh, because the sellsword, because the sellsword buys into the power structure. He has the power if he can be bold enough to seize it. Bran is a cripple and capable of living without the assistance of Hodor, who could abandon him or break him in half if he chose to. Bran should be sweet and gracious to him and thanking him every day for what he does for Bran, but instead he takes over his body. I recognize it was to save them all, but where do you draw the line? The look on Hodor's face when he sees the blood on his hands is one of pure horror. Hmm. Um, I could see a world in which Bran is the big bad. Just because power mad. He is, I mean, taking over another person, even, uh, you know, a person of limited agency like Hodor, that's a huge violation. Sure. I I struggle to think that he could take over anyone who um, has, has it more together, like a, a Tywin. I mean, he's not going to be able to warg into Tywin, is he? I mean, I, like, I, that's why the magic stuff bothers me, because I legitimately don't know if he could. I don't know if that's within his power. I, but okay, let me is play devil's advocate. Is it just simple-minded people that he can take advantage of like that, or is it everyone? Let me play devil's advocate. Um, a seven-year-old boy could not beat you up. Sure. But he could train his entire life in martial arts and then kick your ass in 15 years. Sure. Why do you have a problem with that huge variance in power level when it's a purely physical construct where... Because the... I understand the mechanism that gets him there, training. Is that something you can do with magic? Can you train your abilities? Is it like the Force, where you can work on this piece of it and it gets better and more powerful? Or is it just something that you're innately gifted and all of your abilities are given to you at a moment? Well, I mean, so... The Force is a great example. Um, maybe this is because you enjoyed it as a child, but it seems like we really were finding things about the Force all the time. Like, you know, <laughs> you could use it okay. to retrieve a lightsaber and flip a light switch and guide a Froton torpedo. Or lift an X-Wing out of a swamp. You can lift an X-Wing out of a swamp. Yeah. And, you know, now you can sense people from worlds away and on different spaceships. It's like, it's, it's so... It, it, I think what's important about magic... Because it is the supernatural, and the same thing as science fiction, where you got sufficiently advanced technology that appears to be magic, mm-hmm. is you can grow to appreciate limits, but once those limits are established, you cannot violate them. Okay. So yeah. that's what I think, uh, you know, it's like I'm not, my shit's not all torn up when I see 
demigods and magic users. It's only torn up if they did something that was proven to be impossible without some sure, convincing in-universe explanation for why that event would happen. Yeah, I guess it it holds no... Like, their abilities in one scene hold no predictive power over their abilities in another scene. That's That's my problem with magic, is that I can't ever get a handle on what are they potentially capable of. Right. And, and I think it's done an okay... This series has done an okay job of showing what Bran is capable of, and I I think they've said maybe somewhere that... You can take advantage of someone with a simpler mind like Hodor. I think we just I think that's I think they've something said that. I think that's just something that we or or I think Jojen expressed surprise yes. that, that he was able to do that. Yeah. So, Even so to where does his power as simple as Hodor? So where does his power end? I, I don't know. I I is have it, is I it have just with no Hodor? I, I know you can't answer <laughs> that. And and maybe you know the answer but you can't say it. Or maybe I I'm, just genuinely don't know the answer. Or maybe it hasn't been written, yeah. Um So I mean that's my problem with it, but I I'm I'm becoming more okay with it as they define the rules a little bit more. I'm just saying that there's in every hero that we've got so far, Danny, John, Bran. Okay. I'm probably leaving some off the list. Stannis, obviously. There Tyrion, is Tyrion, kind of. I Tyrion. Mean, he's he's almost a hero. There yeah. are these elements that these these darker natures inside them that you know because all of our heroes also have a big flaw. You know, Bran's a cripple. John's a bastard. Tyrion sees himself as worse than a bastard. He's a dwarf. Daenerys is inexperienced. Daenerys was, uh, you know, abused and kind of treated as chattel her whole life. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, very much saw herself as a slave and now has this white-hot vengeance streak. Those are all things that can be exploited to very dark purposes. Yeah, by Littlefinger. <laughs> by, by people <laughs> such as Littlefinger. So I kind of wonder if, you know, we've we've got a surplus of heroes all working a separate it's unlikely that they all stay heroic to the end. Sure, I agree with that. You know, it's kind of like Anakin, uh, an Anakin Skywalker story. Yeah, they're not all Ned Stark, except for not shitty and reimagined. <laughs> you know, it's hopefully you know well thought out. Yeah, um, and sympathetic. So let's move on to the final one. When uh, is he going to kill all of the Sand People? That's what I want to know. <laughs> even the children, Jim. <laughs> even the children. Yeah. The, women the and younglings. The um, Oscar A says, "What do you guys think about the bookmarking or book ending of this episode? The two major characters deciding to go against the quote unquote entertainment current, meaning Danny mm-hmm. chose to stay in Slaver's Bay instead of going to King's Landing, like we ah. want her to, and Bran going north on a quest a few viewers are invested in instead of claiming his throne by meeting up with John." He says, personally, it makes perfect sense to me, but it isn't exactly exciting television. And I've definitely heard, yeah, bitching about. The staying in Slaver's Bay versus going to Westeros um, and for many quarters, and I've definitely seen people continue to say, we don't care about Bran. Yeah, I. it's all explained very well in terms of character, and I think that's why I'm not up in arms about it, because Danny has realized the value of uh, Jor-El's advice. <laughs> Ben, that's going to stick if, Jorah, you, don't, if you don't catch uh, it. All right, I'll stop. Uh, Jorah's advice. Uh, and I think that's an evolution of her character, and it shows uh, maturity that she wasn't capable of earlier. I'm okay with that. When when characters evolve and make good decisions, um, I, I'm I'm okay with it. All right. Brands is a little bit more of a stretch because, you know, he wants desperately to be reunited with his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there are logical reasons that he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm okay if he just made the decision. You know, I don't, don't really want to talk to my brother. I'm gonna go north. Mm-hmm. That would have been bullshit, 
Right. Uh, little thing, if the show had switched Cersei's, uh, this continued Oscar A's, if the show had switched Cersei's scene with her father and the discussion about the Iron Bank to come before her scene with Marjorie, it would have made a lot more sense for her to let the Tyrells into her life. Hmm. Since yeah. they didn't do it in that order, are the creators giving us a clue to a devious plan that I can't yet decipher? Interesting. Devious plan. I mean, so you think there's more to Cersei's um, conversation with Marjorie? That seems like Oscar is implying that, and he's uh, like the person before talking about the CSI, yeah, the Cersei secret investigation. That there's the obvious thing going on the surface, which is her winning, uh, you know, rigging the court against Tyrion, and mm-hmm. then there's non-obvious thing going on below the surface. So yeah, and Marjorie's kind of the wild card in there, right? Mm, I mean, she so? hasn't she doesn't have anything to do with Tyrion's trial. She's not going to be judging anybody. She also has very little support now that Lady Olin has left the building. She's just got her yeah. Star Trek, the next, next generation of planetary governor <laughs> father, which, you know, Jean-Luc sure, can seem bamboozle to have any with a last five-minute episode speech, and the whole thing can crumble. There's, that's no yeah. power. Yeah, he's going to quote the Prime Directive, and he's going to crumble, crumble like the, the Night's Watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know. It seems like there's some sort of plot going on, and you're right. the The order of those scenes, unless Cersei has a plan, doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. Okay. Well, that's all we got for the non spoilers. We will have a robust spoiler section beyond the wall. Oh, music. Uh, we will excuse Jim from that. If you'd like to send us feedback and and uh, run the mighty feedback gauntlet. You can do so at Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. As always, we have uh, show threads on Facebook dot com slash bald move and jim is willing to talk non-spoiler stuff with you on twitter at bald move uh that's all we got i hope to see you back this weekend for instant take of the next episode episode six we're past the halfway mark and we will also see you back here on tuesday for our full coverage until then i'm aaron and i'm jim We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of hot D and reading a lot of fire and blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, welcome back to the spoiler section. Uh, we've dismissed Jim from the room, and it's going to be you and me for, throughout here to talk about book spoilers, some speculation, a little bit of tinfoil at the end. I'm running kind of long and late today, and we had a compressed schedule this week for a variety of reasons. 
So I've been saving in my back pocket a small piece of tin foil for you guys to consider. We'll get there in a minute. First, uh, some feedback. Jazz W said, in the hut at Craster's, when Jojen says, this isn't the end, and Mira asks, how will we know? And Jojen is looking at his hands on fire, or his hand on fire, rather. This isn't just a vision of Craster's burning later. Isn't it showing us that Jojen knows he'll die in a fire, which I believe is new information? Hasn't he told Mira and others possibly that he knows when he's going to die, but he won't tell Mira when? So that is a very good question. I actually am not sure if Jojen has seen the manner of his death. I feel like that that is something that's been established. Uh, you know, there's speaking of tinfoil, there's this Jojen's paste theory. Uh, you recall when Bran first sits on the Weirwood throne and begins his training under the Three-Eyed Crow's tutelage that they explain that he has to eat this Weirwood-derived paste that uh, will unlock his green-seeing and his Weirwood.net abilities, his, war his, his super-warging abilities. And they feed him this pale paste with red streaks through it that Bran describes as looking like blood. Now, we know the Weirwoods have red sap, etc. So that's a perfectly valid explanation for it. But human blood also looks like human blood. And some people have speculated that Jojen might have been sacrificed uh, to give his powerful blood, his green seer's blood, uh, and, and a mixture to Bran for him to accelerate his super warging green seeing uh, powers um so him i don't know i feel like the burning was just in specifically a reference to him seeing uh carl dying in the fire because if you you know he, he was kind of talking about that and looking at it and then the very next scene we see him he talks about how he saw him burning and the uh, the snow falling over his bones so i kind of feel like it goes towards that i actually like the jojen pace theory um, of course, it'll be shot to hell in the winds of winter, and we'll get to a brand chapter, and Jojen's, you know, still carrying around his pale sick ass. But, uh, you know, if they did sacrifice Jojen, was he willing? Was he unwilling? Uh, what's Mira feel, uh, think about this? Uh, what role did the children have in uh, the forest and on this? Call all, all kind of interesting stuff. Moving on to Matt M said, changing the story so the Sansa's Peter's niece instead of bastard daughter. I thought maybe they did it to balance the creep factor of Littlefinger a bit, but then that runs counter to the show's MO. Why do you think they did that? I feel like they did that to limit people's potential confusion. Because we've seen them do some things like, you know, take Asha and rename her Yara because it's too close to Osha. Having Hiram call, uh, Sansa, his daughter, they think maybe people would accidentally think that he was secretly his daughter. And that that's something established in season one, and it might get confusing, where pose, posing as his niece uh, is not so confusing. Uh, I, I, I got to feel like it's something of that, that they're <clears throat> taking it further away from the you know father-daughter thing to, I guess, maybe make it less creepy, although, you know shit, after some of the stuff's happened this season and stuff we've seen Game of Thrones do, I don't know, I buy that. It does feel like maybe it's the lessons people conf is confusion. Same way, you know, remember when they changed Jamie's uh, cousin 
he's no longer a fray. He was a Lannister because it's easier for people to remember. And they, you know, even though it's something we're familiar with, the idea of cousins have different last names. You're trying to tell this very visual medium where you get to mention a name once and then you don't mention it again. And some of this stuff sticks like it's I, I, I can foresee it's not like Peter's going to be introducing him as like, this is my this is my niece, blah. This is my niece, blah, a bunch of times. So they get one time to make a uh, impression on the viewer and they don't want to have the viewer come to the wrong conclusion several episodes from now. So I don't know. I really don't understand that. Uh, in fact, I didn't even notice it was a change when I first watched the show. So thanks for uh, checking that for me, Matt. Will H says, if I'm correct, are we still waiting on the five uh, on five pivotal points from the book? Do you believe that we will see adaptations of these scenarios this season? Number one, the hound dies. That's interesting because I feel like I'm touching on a lot of tinfoil without going into in-depth this week because we're going to talk about a piece here in a minute and it connects with this one as well. If you're a subscriber to The Hound is the Gravedigger on the Quiet Isle theory, which I am a huge fan of, in fact, I don't even think it's a theory. I think it's more or less a done deal. Then Sandor doesn't really die. And this show has always shied away from the kind of identity switcheroo games that the books indulge in quite a lot. You know, they didn't they didn't try to do it with Reek versus Theon. They didn't try to do it uh, with Aristan um, versus Barristan. I, I feel like if they were going to kill the hound, that the hound doesn't stay dead and he comes up. So here's a question. If the hound is on the quiet aisle, was that just George R. R. Martin giving him a send off and saying, hey, he finally found peace and we'll never see him again? Or is he going to be relevant later on to the story? If the latter's the case, I really don't see them dressing up the hound in some gravedigger costume and having Brian, you know, meet him and see him and have this big coded discussion about him. And I just, I just, I, again, it, cause there's no way you can hide that character's features. I mean, you could, you could throw a cloak on him stuff. I still feel like people, you know, they're going to get a close up on his eyes or something. It's going to be a giveaway. The guy's very distinctive looking. Um, so I wonder if the hound will be mortally wounded or killed at all. Uh, or maybe it's implied that he's wounded and he's, you know, uh, Arya leaves in that state. But I doubt that we actually find he's dead because it just is going to simplify things for just him to be hanging around alive somewhere in the realm. Uh, so I don't know. But on the other hand, the Clegane Bowl theory, which we'll talk about here in a bit, kind of depends on the fact that he's at least a member of the faith by the time we get to time to get hyped for the Clegane Bowl. Man, I feel like uh, even in the spoiler section, there's like half the people that are not following what I'm talking about here. I apologize for that. Uh, let's continue on. Oberyn versus the Mountain. That is a done deal. That is happening. In fact, there's a fucking uh, episode title called The Viper and the Mountain. That's going to happen. Uh, Tywin dying. That could very well be a final episode thing, an episode 9 thing, and an episode 10 thing. It sounds like episode 9 and 10 are absolutely crammed full of stuff. Uh, but it seems like that's the kind of moment they'd wait for the end of the season. I would say that that's a lock to happen. Lady Lysa chucked out the moon door. Yeah, 
I feel like with five episodes left to go, as far as they've advanced this plot, that that's probably going to happen around episode seven, uh, eight at the latest. Maybe that'll be the big moment in episode eight or one of the big moments. Uh, the only one I don't see happening is your last one, Jon Snow election. Maybe we'll get that that is like one of the cliffhangers. Like the, you know, there's there's two types of cliffhangers in Game of Thrones, it seems to me. There's the oh shit cliffhanger and there's a the triumphant cliffhanger where they're setting up cool things like the great ranging and, and uh, you know, Daenerys's dragons and stuff like that. And then there's the, you know, perilous cliffhangers where you're kind of concerned about what's going to happen. I think the brothers calling John, uh, they're calling for the election and John's name being mentioned is going to be one of those. Uh, you know, a more more uh, triumphant type cliffhanger, but the actual election and the aftermath of it will happen, I think, very early on next season. That's just my opinion. Nicole Kay says in the books, there's a chapter from Brand's POV where he describes what it's like to warg in a Hodor, and he says that Hodor goes someplace deep inside himself, and that he's no longer fights Brand like he did in the beginning. Brand does it just so he can explore caves with Mira and Jojen. And it's very fucked up, but that's just another example of the fucked up power dynamics in this world. Granted, it's less destructive than the raping pillaging of the Riverlands, but still, in Westeros, it sucks to be a peasant. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like Bran could end up becoming a big villain in this thing. Because, you know, he seems to be doing things to a person in a position of weakness as far as relative to him against their will that scares and frightens them. And is doing you know detrimental things that are psyche, and he's just doing it more and more, not for necessity, but just for the hell of it. He's joyriding around in Hodor. That is setting off alarm bells in my head, uh, and I'm not entirely sure about this Blood Raven dude either. Um, I mean, he could. I I I I have no idea what to make of him. I have no idea, like, if the theory we talked about last week with the White Walkers is true, and there's this, you know, north of the wall, White Walker domain, it could be that he's actually working with them, but that doesn't make sense because of the, I don't know, I, I the less I say about that, probably the better. Um, I really don't know what to make of, of a Blood Raven, but there again, you know, even if he's a good guy, Bran could decide to become evil and overthrow him. And, you know, it, it could very be very well be a Stark off at the end. Uh, you know, John versus Bran versus Arya versus Sansa, um, throwing Aunt Daenerys there in the mix, and who knows what's going to happen. Sir Duncan asks, as a book reader who is a fan of Stannis, even before he saved the Night's Watch, I have been interested in what has been done with his character. In the next time reel, we saw Stannis delivering some powerful lines to what seems to be an iron banker. So it looks like he's not just sending Davos. But this raises some questions. How does this affect the timeline of the Battle of the Wall? If Stannis is going to be hanging out in Braavos for a bit to get the gold, it takes time to get to the Wall. This makes me think the Battle for the Wall will be spread out over two episodes, uh, one around eight or seven, and we get Egret and the company's attack. And around nine, we get a bubble with a massive, uh, we get a battle with a massive battle, and, and ends with Stannis's arrival. Uh, I I don't know, man. I feel like that this show. Travel takes as long as it takes, and you can get from the Wall to King's Landing, or from Winterfell to King's Landing in a single episode. Uh, you can get from the 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 Knights Fort, or the, I'm sorry, the Knights Fort, the Dread Fort to the Wall in an episode. You can get from the Wall to Craster's Keep in an episode. 
it really you have no idea how much time elapses between the episodes and they have a very fast and loose sense of that timing of the show so i don't think we should think too much about how long it would take to actually sail to bravos and come back and then get land at the wall and have this battle take place i do know that from every information that we have the battle will take place in episode nine and i don't think there's going to be any real big prelude to that um, I don't know. Maybe we will have a little bit of skirmishing in 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 episode eight, but uh, I bet they want to keep all that action kind of centered in one episode. Oscar A said, "How interested are you guys in seeing a progression within the Greyjoys uh, or on their isles?" I asked because we've rarely seen them, and I know that they have a king that wants a throne for himself too, beyond Stannis, Danny, etc. We never see him. Is it too late? Do you think? I've read the books, but viewers may not care. Well. My problem, Oscar, is that I don't care about the Ironborn. Uh, that's one of the problems I had with Feast is I started getting into Victorian stuff and Aaron Grajel, or uh, Damp Hair, and I just didn't care. And the King's Moot, I still think, is one of the sillier, slower stretches. I know there are big fans of Victorian. Um, I do think there's some interesting kind of conspiracy theory stuff about uh, Asha taking Theon back to the Iron Islands and nullifying the king's moot because there was a hat to yet be thrown in the ring, and Theon is that hat. Uh, when she's talking with her lover about, you know, hey, he was saying, hey, you know, you lost fair and square. There's nothing you can do to contest it. Like that one time uh, that a king's moot got nullified because uh, nobody, uh, a person was there that couldn't stake their claim or a person was missing – Theon gives her an out. I don't know how the, the Ironborn will feel about a neuter being mentioned as a king. Uh, I don't know whether they will know that. I don't know whether Theon can overcome his reekiness to, you know, because it, it's not like you can just show up there and invalidate the thing. You've got to actually put forth a case. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. But, you know, again, with the Iron Islands... That whole King's Moot thing and the whole Euron versus Balon versus Victarion versus Asha versus Aaron seems like they could all simplify that by just introducing the character somehow of Victarion. Um, and somehow I think Asha slash Yara is going to be a, um, a big part of that, that somehow she's going to cr crap out or get captured uh, Balon and Balon's going to get killed, and Ramsay's going to send a ransom notice to the Greyjoys, and we're going to be introduced to the Victorian through that. And how they get him off on his vector towards rescuing Daenerys, or not rescuing, but trying to meet Daenerys, I really don't know. But again, it's not one of the parts in the books that I'm like, ooh, I hope they get to that, or I hope to be faithful. I don't see, it's hard for me to see with all the players on the field that how he can be anything but a minor distraction in the war of the iron throne that we've been fighting for years here in Westeros. So that's my opinion. I know uh, it might not be a popular one, but uh, it's hard. It would be hard for me to imagine a scenario in which they handle the iron Islanders to where I would be really up in arms about because they could leave it out, omit it, shorten it, change it completely. And I just not that passionate about it. Let's move into tinfoil theory of the weak territory. Uh, got some feedback on last week's theory. Jeff B. said, The last scene seems to indicate that there are at least two classes in the White Walker society, the pure White Walkers and the zombie ones. My guess would be the pure ones. I'm assuming he's talking about the relatively human-looking, not-skeletal, butthole-face-looking ones. My guess would be the pure ones have magic abilities since the zombie one could not convert the child. 
that the pure ones can also age. It's interesting because there's nothing to indicate the the quote-unquote zombie one, the more shriveled-looking one, uh, the more native-looking one, doesn't have magical abilities. It could be a hierarchical thing that he's just not allowed to make uh, a child. Maybe there's some sorting process where they get a sickly child or child doesn't have the white Walker spirit that they do something else with the children. We don't know. We don't know enough to speculate, but your speculation is as good as any. This also makes me think of the very first episode of game of Thrones where we see a white Walker child. Everyone thought it was a girl, but maybe it was actually a boy. A girl wouldn't make sense unless it was one of the craster's offspring, but it does indicate that they can grow up from a baby to an adult. Um, the only thing there is I'm pretty sure that that is actually a white, um, so, you know, if you add your caste system, you'd have whites, which are what you call the true zombies. You'd have the desiccated-looking white walker, the older-looking white walkers. And then you'd have the, you know, top-class, black-clad, uh, you know, more human-looking white walkers that live way north behind the wall. I think the theory about the white walkers building the wall is highly unlikely, and it doesn't make sense if you think about it. They had to build the wall. Why would they have infused it with magic to keep themselves from crossing as opposed to keeping men from crossing it? That is an excellent point. Um, it could be a side effect of the, the giant, you know, of the uh, magic that they use to raise it, that it's an unavoidable consequence that uh, they're, they're white. That, and, and we don't know that it keeps the white walkers out. We know it prevents the whites from crossing. So it could be that their magic is so powerful that it, like, um, you know, say like you have a powerful magnetic field that can overwhelm a weaker one. It could be that a white, if it tries to transport itself across the wall, will just deactivate, you know, become a lifeless corpse. And if you bring it to the other side of the wall, then it could reanimate again. And we've seen that happen. We saw the Night's Watch take a bunch of, you know, what we now know are whites, uh, or at least one, uh, carted across through the wall, and then it reanimated and went to attack the Lord Commander. So... Another part of that theory is that John, in dances, was keeping some dead bodies in cold storage within the wall, hoping they would reanimate so that he could study them, which is a wise point. But if my theory is true, something in the wall actively suppresses it. And it can't, it, it could, again, the theory could be it's not anti white magic so much as it is powerful other magic that interferes with whatever makes the the actual whites uh animate and and uh, uh being able to move around why would men he continues and not the white walkers have patrolled it and built castles along it i also think that if the white walkers had built the wall it'd be part of the history because there's no reason to lie about that again we're talking about stuff that supposedly happened eight thousand years ago that is a long fucking time to play the telephone game uh, I don't even think there's written records from that surviving. I mean, I don't want to step on anybody's faith's toes, but we've had, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much written human history we've had. 6,000 years, 7,000 years, 8,000 years. And we've had multiple creation myths. We had multiple ideas of what God is, whether there is a God or not. I totally buy that the White Walkers could have built this thing and there could have been this peace deal and that men reneged on it and drove the uh, the original guards off behind the wall. Uh, and, I, you know, why the White Walkers took it, I don't know. Um, you know, I had a couple of theories about them, their numbers being decimated, uh, and they're trying to rebuild those. Or you know, 
I, you know, I really don't know. It could be, uh, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but some people have mentioned that they could have a special affinity for the Starks, that if one of the Knights Kings started off as a Stark, uh, that maybe what's really pissed them off is the Starks being overthrown um, from Winterfell. So they're like cool with the Night's Watch as long as the Starks were kind of overseeing it and they kind of trusted the Starks not to interfere in Northern business. But now that you got these assholes in power and we've heard in the books that there's this kind of almost like magical rule mentioned that there must always be a Stark in Winterfell. Like always going back to Brand the Builder when fucking Winterfell was first born. What if that's literally true? Like that's one of the terms of the peace treaty. And that would explain why there was a transition of power, and now they're reneging on the deal. The only thing that doesn't make sense is we know the White Walkers were kind of on the move while Ned still had his head and was happy, fat, and dumb in Winterfell. So there's a problem there, and we just don't know enough. Um, it's also possible that there's a truce, but then why have the Wall have been built after the war and 19 castles along to protect the kingdoms from the White Walkers if there was a truce? The Night's Watch is a shadow of its former self. Don't forget that in the past, when many, while the White Walkers were fresh in men's minds, they had all the castles fully manned, and serving at the Night's Watch was an honor and not a punishment. So if it was honorable, there must have been a danger. The problem is, is those 19 castles weren't there all along. I mean, Castle Black is one of the most recent castles built. Um, there's been several, I mean, there's been uh, castles abandoned and castles built and castles renovated. And again, going back for 8,000 years, who really knows what the true history is here? He says, I do love the Knight's King theory. Uh, it would be a good connection with the Walkers uh, that uh, to the Night's Watch. If this is true, it means that adults, not only babies, can be changed into White Walkers. Maybe you have to be willing, and that's why they target babies, because babies are too young to understand or resist. Obviously, there's still a lot of unanswered questions about the White Walkers and how the children of the forest and Three-Eyed Crow figured out into it. Amen. Uh, obviously, and there are a lot of an an unanswered questions, Jeff, and hopefully... Uh, Germ, G-R-R-M, will finish the Winds of Winter, and we can get some of these post-haste. Jeannie Ness says, uh, so let's say that the last hero who struck out on a quest, struck out on a quest in one of Old Nan's tales, I think as relayed in book twelve, two or possibly three, and he, he did so with 12 friends who all died along the way. But did they? At the end of the tale, when Theon comes to get Bran, the others are coming on their ice spiders to kill him. How cool will ice spiders be, we ask. Big ice spiders, too. My thought, the last hero who can also become cold hands beat the others, and as a condition of this piece, he said he would protect them from man. Sure, they can protect themselves to a point, but as we know, the children of the forest knew how to kill them and pass that knowledge along. So when the last hero somehow came into contact with Bran, the builder, and voila, the wall was built. Yes, it had magic infused to not only keep men out with its sheer vastness, but also to keep the others in their territory as part of the peace. A reservation, if you will, for the others. The others were not entirely without a plan, though. Man did encroach on their world in the form of many wildly tri wildling tribes. Some were peaceful, fine, and paid their godly dues like Craster. Others weren't, and for them came the whites. Others could turn men into slaves, thralls, or zombies, whatever you wa uh, want to call them, but basically units that get rid of men were necess necessary. They could have used direwolves or ice spiders, but what's more likely to scare man than the ability to turn him into a rotting, shambling killer? Also, it's efficient. It's mad efficient. So where did the last hero go? Let's suppose that after he got the wall built, he established a Night's Watch. I suspect that one of his descendants either ended up becoming the Night's King or he became immortal and changed form in order to make this peace. 
uh, make sure this peace stayed in place. Eventually, he became the Knights King, and well, by then he was getting a little uh, in need of affection. As we know from history, as time passes and we get further from an event, we tend to forget or revise why we do things. Rather than simply maintaining the barrier of the wall to keep others and man apart, the Night's Watch began to see their job as combating not only the Whites, but the others, and then came the Wildlings. By the time the 13th commander of the Night's Watch had come along, their job as they saw it was to kill anything associated with others or Whites. He held them under his sway by simply going back to the beliefs he had originally set up for the Night's Watch of just being a border guard. This may all just be weirdness and uninformed conjecture, but it sort of makes sense to me as punishment for not being able to keep the Night's Watch under order or control the existing others made the last hero into what we saw. His companions are all there with him, but their job is to get the children for replenishing the ranks. That is a solid theory. Um, I also think I really like the fact that you drew a comparison between the last hero and his 12 companions and the fact that there's we see 13 White Walkers there. Um, you know, and again... Uh, I don't know if we have to bring in the Knights King and we have to use the actual history laid out for us in the books. I mean, I guess if we're not, you know, what else are we going to use? But, you know, the last hero as the diplomat uh, and maybe his 12 companions didn't get killed. They all got turned with him. Maybe the turning was a willing so they could better uh, play their, their role as diplomats to the others. The only thing against it is that, I don't know, man. The others do seem to be somewhat menacing. I know I know. GRRM said that he doesn't see things as absolute good and absolute evil, but there's a guy, I think, on the Boiled Leather podcast, one of his phrases is, yeah, good and evil is one thing, but there's nothing to say that the others still can't just be assholes. You know, evil is kind of like the Sauron sense of the world, where they're just out to corrupt all things. Being assholes could be just that they want to fight a war of conquest. They're tired of being pushed around by men. And uh, the great winner's coming, and it's their opportunity to strike. Okay, as I said, this episode's already running way long, so I'm going to have a very, very short uh, tinfoil section for new stuff. Hopefully we can discuss it next week. This is Cersei's prophecy. Uh, She goes to see what she calls Maggie the Frog, who is a woods witch in the uh, Westerlands, in Lannisport, I believe. Uh, it's Cersei misunderstanding the word magi, uh, like uh, the uh, the witch that uh, ended up uh, killing Cal Drogo, and the Danny burnt at her. I think she was Miri Mur does or something. Uh, I'm the last person to pronounce the person's name. But when Cersei was a little girl, uh, she and her friend sought her out because she wanted uh, her prophecies read. She wanted a uh, her fortune told, basically, and she bullied this woman. Uh, this woods witch, this magi, into giving her a prophecy. The first question Cersei asked is, when will I wed the prince? And at the time, she's talking about Prince uh, Rhaegar Targaryen. The uh, Maggie said, never, you will wed the king. Cersei clarified, I will be queen, though. And Mag- the Maggie said, I, queen you shall be until there comes another, younger and more beautiful, to cast you down and take all that you hold dear. Cersei then asked, will the king and I have children? Maggie said, oh, I, six and ten for him and three for you. Gold shall be their crowns and gold their shrouds, she said. And when your tears have drowned you, the Valonqar shall wrap his head, hands around your pale white throat and choke the life from you. Okay. First, I got to explain what a Valonqar is. Valonqar is a high Valerian word for little brother. And now, 
the thing about this Maggie's prophecy is that all the stuff that she said so far has come true. The little friend that uh, asked her a question that came with Cersei said, will I marry Jamie? And Mag- uh, Maggie said, no, child. Uh, the worms will have your maidenhead. Death comes for you tonight. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, she said, well, you know, can you smell their, uh, her breath? You know, referring to death. And that very night, that uh, that uh, uh, girl companion of Cersei fell into a well and died. There, if we're going to put layers and layers of tinfoil on, there's actually some decent speculation that Cersei killed this girl uh, because she had the temerity to ask about whether she'd be with Jaime. Uh, and because Cersei, they had made an uh, agreement with each other that if they don't tell anybody a prophecy, the prophecy won't come true. And Cersei being the trusting, loving person we know... Uh, might take the expediency of shoving her down the well to make sure that's happened. And Cersei's memories are of this girl uh, screaming and yelling down the well, implying that Cersei was was there. So there's that. But let's talk about this last prophecy. Well, let's talk about all the prophecies. Number one, uh, she was right. She didn't marry uh, uh, Rhaegar. She married the king, Robert. Uh, the Robert did have a number of bastards, uh, six and ten. I'm not sure what the exact numbers are, but that sounds right to me. And and that Cersei had three, and that was the first indication that you know Robert might not be all that, or her her future king wasn't going to be all he cracked up to be since he's having more kids than her, and that she'll be a queen until another younger and more beautiful one comes to cast you down. Now there's there's a lot of uh, speculation on who that would be. Uh, Cersei obviously throughout the books is paranoid that it's Marjorie. Uh, there's some that say that it could actually be Marcella. Uh, we know that there was a plot in Dorne to put her to nominate her as queen and and make her ruler, that could come to pass. Uh, whether she's more beautiful than her at this point, she's certainly younger, where she's more beautiful than Cersei is an open question because, unfortunately, you know, Marcella got fairly horribly disfigured in uh, recent events. Uh, again, I don't think Marjorie is, it, is going to be the one because that's the easy answer. Uh, I actually like the idea... Uh, the, some people are, I'm sorry, let's go with another obvious one. So there's the obvious to Cersei, Marjorie. There's the obvious to book reader, which is Daenerys. Certainly passes the younger, certainly passes the more beautiful, has reason to come to Westeros and cast Cersei down. But I think it might actually be Sansa. The Sansa becomes a major player in this Game of Thrones, and maybe she doesn't become a queen, it just says that there's coming another younger, more beautiful to cast you down and take all that you hold dear. I like the idea of Sansa, maybe with the armies of the Vale behind her back, uh, united with the Northern Lords under John or, Br- or, or Bran or Rickon or whoever, coming to uh, take King's Landing and, and uh, throw down Cersei. Uh, let's move on to the prophecy about the children. Uh, so Valonqar, little brother. Again, there's this Cersei obvious one, and that is, of course, Tyrion. You know, Tyrion's kind of had his own prophecy of his own. One day you're going to be happy and secure, and that's when I will take from, uh, that's when I will turn that joy into ash and bring you down. Uh, a very obvious threat, but it's looking more and more like Tyrion's going to end up in Danny's camp, and maybe will not be able to exact revenge on his sister in that way. Plus, again, it's the obvious choice. It's the one that Cersei fears the most. And when the hell has Cersei ever been right about anything? I like the theory that Jamie is the Valonqar. He's the little brother. 
There's a couple things I like about this. Number one, it's not immediately obvious. It's something that Cersei had every opportunity and numerous times when she's talking about it and moaning about the fact that she's not actually heir to Casterly Rock, she'll point out that technically she's older than Jaime because she's the one that popped out of Joanna Tywin first. Technically, Jaime is her little brother. We know that her and Jamie's such uh, relationship has been on the rocks, and that there's very little love lost between them both at this time. The fact that Jamie didn't respond to her summons to be her champion is—I mean, we've—it's—it's it's an open question on what that will do or how she will think about that. But I guess she's going to be none too pleased. And can I see a situation where basically? Jamie is driven to a, a, some sort of rage and ends up killing his sister, strangling his sister. Maybe uh, there's going to be some situation where Jamie's responsible for the death of Brienne. We don't know what's going to go down between her and Jamie and Lady Stoneheart when that story comes to a head. Uh, maybe Jamie will have to do some other awful things in, in the realm. Uh, maybe Cersei will just bring the realm to a, a point of destruction. And just be this unstoppable monster, and Jamie's the only one that can do it. Uh, to gain her trust enough to get in there and, you know, just like he did with the Mad King, sl- slay the current ruler. Um, that would be some interesting symmetry. And a lot of people f- uh, speculated that if he does that, that it'll become like a murder suicide. Um, that'll be this big tragic moment in both of their lives. I think that's interesting. Uh, I like Sandor. Nothing in the prophecy says that it's Cersei's little brother. It's just the Valonqar, the little brother. Sandor is the little brother of Gregor Clegane. And we know that, you know, the popular speculation is Gregor is the Robert the Strong. He's either a reanimated corpse or somehow ensorcelled by Kyburn. And he's in this armor. And he's Cersei's champion, uh against the faith for her trial by combat that's coming up in in the winds of winter presumably who really 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 wants to kill the mountain well sandor and if the sandor is now a grave digger in the quiet isle he's kind of reformed and re has become reborn on this island and he's serving uh this monastic order and the faith calls for a champion how sweet would it be if Sandor answers that call and gets his chance to kill his brother the way he's always wanted to? And then there's two ways this could turn out. Number one, uh, Sandor defeating Gregor puts Cersei's noose in a neck, so he indirectly, his hands, uh, his actions cause her to die. Or, you know, the new faith, the faith militant rolls tough. I could see uh, when he defeats him that his he's the 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 one that gets to pass a judgment and he just strangles Cersei. Um, pretty interesting there. A second um, idea is Tommen. Uh, if Tommen grows up and is you know because he's the little he's the little brother of Joffrey, little brother of Marcella. Um, there's a couple theories about how this could be because we we number one is that Tommen just is you know, goes in a fit of rage because his mother's done something maybe she does something awful to Marjorie, uh, you know he snaps and sees her for who she truly is and ends up killing her. However, the prophecy implies that all of her children have to die because it talks about gold are their crowns and gold are their shrouds. 
which also implies that they're all be made kings and queens, which yeah, they try to make Marcella queen. The other two have already been, been or make her queen. The other two have already been king, so we're already halfway there. Um, but gold is the shrouds. They all have to die as well. So there's some speculation that Cersei goes mad with grief. Uh, one of the things she did last time when she was grief-stricken, when her father died, is she burnt down the Red Keep. Maybe she pulls a Targaryen and wants to burn, uh, not the Red Keep, I'm sorry, the Tower of the Hand. Maybe when Tommen dies, she wants to burn down the Red Keep and ends up pulling a Targaryen and going up in flames with herself. Tommen's death is the thing that chokes the life out of her. Maybe she just commits suicide because of Tommen's death. I like the fact that Tommen has a little brother. I just don't see it uh, because that seems to be almost, you know, a little too walking around the, the letter of the prophecy. Uh, I do like Jamie. I do like Sandor as possibilities. I'd love to hear if you've heard any uh, possibilities for either the queens that put her down or the little brothers that choked the life out of her. Uh, this actually was a little bit more meaty of a tinfoil than I thought because we're running real late now. Thanks for sticking with me. I uh, appreciate all the kind words you've had about my spoiler segment so far. It's a lot of work, and it's tough doing a solo act. But thank you so much for uh, all the appreciation you've shown so far. And can't wait for another episode this Sunday and for another full coverage of the said episode on Tuesday. And I will see you then. Uh, have a good week, people. <laughs>